Previously on We Talk Games. Roller skates. Yeah, right. Well, I guess it's kind of like um, Roller City Rant. Hello. Hello. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently uh, unavailable. Please leave a message. Okay, well, and there you go. <laughs> it's great. Thanks a lot, Keith. Doing a great job. A-OK, pal. Of course, we couldn't do the show without Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, all the people that make it possible behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. And I'll tell you what, if, 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 if ever anybody... No, you don't. don't. In the booth, Keith LaPosh. To my left, T.T. Schmootkins. I'm not sure I like you anymore. No one came to your party. That was odd. I hear there will be donuts. Down the end of the bar, Stinky the Game Master. Engelbert Humperstink. I think I swallowed a bug. Someone left a donut in the rain. Oh. We have all the old school stuff too, but those are the ones that get the most burn right now. Hey, and James, what did you do? Yeah, this is my new Is this on? Hey! Donuts. Yeah, just get your donuts. I love donuts. Each muffin oh, no. donut. Oh, me. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Eat, Jing- eat, eat some donuts. I got mine, and I'm on the radio. Hey, no. with me. Eat, eat, eat some donuts. Hey, get off the megaphone, you bucket of bolts. Watch it, quick machine. Hey, why are you, why, why? What are you going to do about it? Come here. I think I just made sick in my sandals. Alright, now uh, I can't even compose myself. Delighted for your success. It's really, really great. And thank you so very much for taking the time to come on and talk to the little guys here at We Talk Games. I'm pregnant. Oh, what? Wait a minute. Hey, I'm oh. pregnant from making out. All we did was kiss. Uh-oh, John, yeah, I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry. I got to go because this is a, this is a bombshell. Uh, Ooh, uh, yeah. You, uh, you have some... Uh Planned Parenthood meetings to, to attend this, this, is, this isn't going to be good, I'll tell you that. I'll have my lawyer contact your lawyer. I don't even have a lawyer. Have him contact my rabbi. All right. Hey, no, John. I don't know I kissed her. Don't tell Kyle. <laughs> don't tell Kyle? Billy Mitchell, I salute your tie. Game over. Name something made of leather. Your answer stink. A cow. And survey said... <laughs> Lose. Santa Cruz! Alex Noisy. Go! Yo. 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 Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We talk games. Kyle, Wiggly, Atumwa, 
something no your that, poop that jokes game, that is a game for the nintendo it is <laughs> yes it is yeah <laughs> and my favorite part is when i blow my <laughs> all over her <laughs> oh my god get out of here pee his pants but he wouldn't just like oh i'm peeing my pants I have to go to the bathroom. He would just sit and then just fill it up. And it was one of those chairs that was plastic, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it had, had like a, a bucket in the bottom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a little bucket of in the left for everybody else. And he, of course, stunk like urine, so we called him stinky. Hey, I'm getting tired of blowing my air horn over here. Sadie, why don't you put that air horn up your and that'll, why, that'll why didn't you speak up and ask Roger Sharp about this? I, he probably obtained the license for this one. Well, because you told me people don't like when I talk. Well, uh, that is the sad truth, Stinky, and unfortunately, it's coming to my attention that everybody hates you. Hates you. Hate everybody you. hates you. Everybody hates you. Everybody hates you. And now, the season premiere of We Talk Games. Holy mackerel, that recap took over five minutes. we got a stacked show. This is Wiggly. Welcome to We Talk Games, everybody. I'm your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPage. Don't say yo. I'm going to get to you in a second, Keith. Welcome to Season 3, Episode number 72, everybody. It's the start of a new season. Before we get started into the talking games, we have to wrap up the big cliffhanger. Okay, Keith. Because I can't remember what happened at the end of last year because of all this gobbledygook about recapping, which was all completely necessary, by the way, because of all the time and effort we put into the show. But that, nonetheless, let's play back the last, like, three seconds of what happened at the end of last season. All the people that make it possible behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. And I'll tell you what, if, 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 if ever anybody... No, you don't. All right, great. Now, that's what everybody heard online. That was a live, on-air mic recording. Now, as you know, the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, WECAC Flipkleys, requires us to keep not only the on-air recording, which gets distributed to your earballs all over the world, but also for time card reviews and redo assessments, a continuity, if you will. We have to keep a battery-backed-up booth recording as well. Keith, go ahead and play back the booth recording for, like, the last minute of the show. 
the teams would get into. Hey, Keith, we're going to just sit in here. But the end of a season two is a big, big deal. Yeah, Keith, this is surely a big deal. In fact, it's a bigger deal to me than it is for Stinky because I've been on air longer by about 20 minutes. Well, it's a bigger deal for me. Guys, just keep it down and don't touch anything. It's a bigger deal for me. No, it's a bigger deal for me. Hey, Keith, I want to play the end music for the last episode of the season. Sit down and shut your mouths. I want to play the end theme. Let me play the end theme, Keith. I'm not messing around, guys. There's a tackle box out there, and it says, Keith Laposh. No, I'm going to play it. This is important, you know? And the people say that they hate him, me, and I, so I want to prove I could, I could play the music for this historic event in the We Talk Games history. Me, King Stinky. I want to get out of here. Yeah, King Stinky, King of the Boobs. I should be able to play the end music because my part in the show has been reduced to getting mad during the opening, storming out of the studio and then contributing nothing for the remaining three hours of each episode. Yeah, but I don't hear anyone saying that they don't like you. I need this for me, for my psyche. Let me just do it. I can do it. I can press buttons. I know how to do it. Knock it off! No, you don't. No, you don't know how to do it. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Keith, I know how and he doesn't. I know how. Neither of you do. I will press the button. Knock it off! Don't touch anything! Tell Stinky to knock it off and calm down. Sure, calm down. As soon as you let me add that tag. Quit touching stuff. What's this do? Knock it off. Huh, try that again. If you both knock it off, I'll let you work the soundboard. Yay! Jerks. Hey. I press it. Let me press that. I'm pressing over Keith here. Keith said I could do it. TT, I'm pressing. You're lucky I have that line turned off. It's the WTG soundboard. Maniko Kachawa. Number four. I know what I'm doing. No. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. Number four, goof. There's no time for jokes. Just number four. What's this do? Because he is Bigfoot. Not yet. I know, I know what, what I'm, I'm doing. doing. But he no, you don't. Oh, I think I broke it. Hoops. You know, it's sort of strange. We accidentally knocked off the show and ended with that sound effect bed use. I brought in Stinky's Freeman Breach Loading Flintlock Pistol to give to him before the end of the season. No, TT, watch out, because it's a flintlock! Yikes! Oh! Oh, goodness me. TT, you were having a dream! It was more like a nightmare. I dreamt that there was a recap of the previous seasons that ended with Wiggly asking Keith for a playback of the booth recording because the on-air ended with a gunfire sound effect. Then I tried to hand Stinky his flintlock pistol and it went off and killed him. I'm so shaken up. Everything's alright. It was just a dream. Cause the funny part of it is, I actually am carrying on me your SIG P220. Because I wanted to give it to you before we went on break. I really did bring you your flintlock pistol. Wait a minute, that flintlock's loaded, look out! Oh, no, my Swiss semi-automatic has the double action trigger mechanism. Oh, no! Oh! oh I'm dying! <gasps> my gosh! Stinky and Titi just killed each other. It's... Oh. Phew. It was just a dream. Oh no, they're 
They're both right over here dead. What am I? My friend. Well, you can't mourn forever. Listeners, we got a great show lineup for a stacked show to start off our new season. Of course, Kyle Von Kubik and Johnny Capcom, they're both on the air, as well as Tupai R and Eric Alex. Then we're going to have a super multi-mega council of video game quazillionaires. As I mentioned before, I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Great, Keith. Okay, let's uh, get started. I guess they weren't dead after all. What's going on there, Stink? Oh, you're done with the show? I, I just got done with the opening here, Stink. I'm trying to get going with the show here. I thought if we took a nap for a couple hours and you'd be done, we could all go to the movies or something. And I, I, want, to, I want to go to the movies. It's just how we got to do the show. Young. Well, I don't have time to wait around for you losers. I'm going out to eat and then take in that movie we talked about. All right, T.T., I guess that's how you get out of being on the rest of the show today. Well, I'm going to go down and fix myself something up to nosh on. All right, wh- whatever. Well, we got to start here. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! I love you. All right, Keith, let's open the line. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik. Back on the We Talk Games show. Westbury House, New York, go. Kyle hey, Cubic. That's me. Hey, it's great to hear from you again. It's great to hear from me again, yes. It is, and now we're talking on the Skype. We are. You sound like you're right in the next room. Uh, do I? You sound like you're on the Cramar uh, Flip the Clutes. Hologram Allegraffiti yeah, 3D 4. I'm glad I'm not because yeah. last time I lost my eyebrows. That did not work out well. No. No, your manscaping gets ruined on those. Totally. Yo, so. Uh, Yo. Uh, as you will find out throughout the entirety of this episode, I have not played a console game since really? uh, since we stopped in June. How, or, how many years stinky, ago was get that? Get Stinky on here, then. I'm sure he's played games stinky, being a game master and all. He is a game master. I think he's played the Twitter once. Yeah, yeah what's cool. up with that? Stinky needs to definitely get on Twitter more. He, he says... when he's on there... Golden. He keeps keeps bragging how many followers he gets every day. I think he's up to like thirteen. Uh, but yet he doesn't tweet. celebrities, which I like. He does. I he know. does it so well. He's very good at it. But I have played. I have played a couple things. Uh, first of all, I played my pinball. Okay. And uh, so I, well, I built explain a, that for those who don't know because yes. we haven't been on the air since two thousand five. I, I built a. Well, they call it a cabinet. Well, you know that's what a pinball cabinet's really called. I but, like to call it a table, but that's okay. Yeah, it's 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 called building a cabinet for your visual pinball or future pinball emulation. Uh, future pinball has been able to emulate an arcade style layout, meaning that you have a a uh, television going uh, at a 90 degree angle uh, to you uh, and then in the back you have a back glass above it so it's been able to to support these two screens so that it actually looks like a pinball t- machine to you and visual pinball can support up to three screens so you'll have a play field a back glass area and then underneath the back glass you have a little dot matrix display area for emulated versions of pinball machines that have dot matrix displays 
Okay. So if you go to, if you're interested in creating your own pinball machine or just want to fart around, or if you just want to play it on your monitor, you can do that with both Future Pinball and with Visual Pinball. You can go to vpforums.org, and it's a really great community. You know, we have a great community on We Talk Games, and this is just as, as friendly a community. Yeah, sometimes every now and then there's somebody cracking wise, but for most part, everyone gets it. And to see some of these tables that come out of there, the love in the recreation, the love in the original tables, it's uh, it's truly something unique. So it's, it's something that you uh, should probably check out, uh, vpforums.org. And... For the most part, it's free. Unless you want to download like a maniac, then you you, you throw them a few bucks for all this space that you're you're bandwidth you're hogging. So you got a computer. You got a, uh, what sounds like three screens. Yeah, and some you know MDF. It didn't. It didn't now, exactly. It didn't yeah. cost me as much as as it could. Uh, most people just knew in this because I have monitors laying around all over the place. Then I took my old television, turned it sideways. Now you can get. You know, modest screens for under three hundred dollars uh, for widescreen televisions. Two hundred, three hundred dollars, you can get a thirty-two inch uh, TV. Mm. Uh, so that's that's what's in there. It's and small. you violated the television, right? You I you. I uncrated the thing down to having to take tin snips to parts of the protective metals that wow. were on there. Voiding the warranty completely. <laughs> I may have. Yes, I may have. In fact, it, it was a weird thing, and, and uh, we're going to have two stacked of a show to even get into it. But it, it reset it to the point where I had to go in and do this television ROM uh, wow. special resetting. I needed the original remote control to do this because it somehow locked me out. Out thinking that I was bootlegging. You're crazy person ripping apart the television? No, I thought I was bootlegging Blu-ray DVDs. <laughs> in, the, in the back of this brand TV that I have, there's this little hole, and if light gets in there, it somehow thinks I'm bootlegging Blu-ray DVDs. <laughs> Mm. So I had to reset it to to factory restore settings using my my remote control, and then I had to put a piece of electric tape over this little hole so no light gets in there, <laughs> or else my TV would not switch to the to the digital inputs of the HDMI ports. Very strange, really weird. It's been an adventure, you know. I did this little by little, and like I said, I had the monitors laying around. I had old uh, speakers from computer systems. I had an old computer. So basically, it was just a matter of uh, picking up some of the uh, hardware that's specifically made for video uh, controllers called Mosh Ion. And you can find out all of that at vpforms.org. Get it from those guys there because uh, the actual manufacturers of some of this hardware will get this to you not as quickly or reliably or as friendly as the folks over there at VP Forms and VP Emulation type of sites. Now, I played pinball, so that was my one thing. The other thing mm. I played was Mario Kart DS. Oh, really? Now, you might think that I played this on my Nintendo DS. But when I say I've only been playing physical things instead of the video versions of things, I actually mean I have a 20-foot slot car racing track (laughs) on my floor of Mario Kart DS. It's made by Carrera. And uh, you have a a two-speed turbo control on your uh, your. handles (laughs) handles <laughs> your slot car slotters your okay. slot car you know control device your throttle thing and so you have turbo and it has a loop-de-loop and it has a wall that goes up at you know like a 45 degree angle or something mm. and, and it's shoots a blue shell 
you do not do that, and you oh. do not even you don't even lane change in this. It's it's pure slots, but you just flick your like friend's a, car off the track. You, you do that to your own car. It takes you a little while to get used to slot. I remember slot cars when I was a kid, and basically, when you would start to try to race your friend, you designate who was going to go pick up the cars and put it back on the track. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what happened here. When I hit the loop-de-loop first, I just went flying off. When I hit that giant thing that's supposed to go up your wall, went f- go flying off. But it's a 143rd scale. So Mario is perfectly 143rd the scale that he would be in real life. Yes. <laughs> and Princess Peach. It comes with Mario and Princess Peach. Uh, this yeah. is the DS version once again. So it's, it's going right. to get you in there cheaper. If you want the mm-hmm. Wii version, it's going to be like, two to three times more expensive which i don't even know how many feet that wii version is but that there really with, is a wii, there's a difference between those two versions there's a ds version and a wii version the wii version that comes with is adorable it comes with three cars you get okay. peach mario and luigi uh on this one here at the ds you could buy a third car of wario and oh I, nice my favorite I, I think there might be a donkey kong uh, in the now, a while back, I got these little cars from somebody that looked like slot cars, but it didn't come with a track or anything. But I think it, it's the was same it remote thing. control guys? No, they weren't remote okay. control. They they were you know little characters in the car. I guess they were just toys. Okay, I never opened them. I don't know, but they look like slot cars. But I'm sure it's not the same because they did make a Mario Kart with Mario and Yoshi, and they were remote control, and you like you set up this obstacle course on your floor. You know, and then you did, you did remote control instead. Yeah. But this is slot car racing, and, and I know a lot of our UK listeners are still into the slots a lot. And uh, so it, it's pure fun. I, I wanted it for my uh, our first year wedding or second year wedding anniversary with Chizzy there, and Chiz uh, picked it up for me. I, I didn't say I wanted it. I said I wanted it a long time ago, and right. here it was uh, surprise, surprise. She picked this up for me out of the. Those are the best surprises, and it's a lot of fun. You know, you have walls that go around some of the sides of the. The, the the hairpin turns the wall doesn't do anything for you. it doesn't keep you go flying off that thing so and then it's really gratifying because once you do understand the rhythm of this you go around eight nine ten times and you just try to see how many times you go around but i was very surprised mario's car is all around fast speedy it's pure speed Right. Princess Peach doesn't fly off the track as much. She's still very fast, but she, she has a much more stable car. It's a little bit heavier. Wario's mm. car is very heavy, but it can go real fast. But you have to hit turbo like constantly just to keep him going at, at normal speed. So he's like putt, 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 and, and dash and putt and dash and putt and dash and putt. So each one of those cars is a very different play mechanic whether it was thought out or just a result of the weight of each car and you know how far it sits above the ground and things like this it's anyone's guess but it's very interesting that there is more than just tactile interface with it as any slot car real slot car would be but it it also has like video gaming types of uh, dynamics to it that's great so basically i've been playing <laughs> emulations of real pinball machines that has now listen when you emulate pinball machines you're going to think this looks great then you look at a real pinball machine and you say this doesn't look anything like a real pinball machine. sure but they look really nice and it's a different type of gaming interaction i mean you have that tactile ability to use a plunger 
you can uh, shake and tilt and things like this with the type of cabinet I built. And, you know, it's this big physical piece of equipment in front of you. It weighs 100 pounds, 150 pounds, whatever. So it's this big, massive thing that you, you tactily interface with, just like a real pinball machine. But it delivers something between a video game and a, and a, and a pinball machine. And since I, I built it and since I keep up with the community, it's the perfect type of game. It doesn't take me an hour to get through one game. You know, sometimes I get on a winning streak, I could just dump out if, I, if I'm if i not feeling like continuing or I do it between sure. songs or... To it's not like you're paying quarters either way, you know? <laughs> exactly. So, electricity, but that's about it. Yeah. So that's what I've basically been doing, doing uh, unusual video game types of play. How about you? Well, and now you get to play all your favorite tables that Steve Ritchie poo-pooped on. So, <laughs> well, you know what? They don't they don't have a, a, a nice-looking version of Royal Rumble yet. So, oh, But I, okay. I have played some of the other games he turreted on, yes. But I've also played <laughs> some fantastic, I mean, you want to talk about love, fantastic versions of High Speed 2. I saw Funhouse on there. That's a great game. Funhouse is on there. And a lot of, you know, you, you really get to appreciate the mechanics and the builds. These are tables that most of us are never going to be able to play right. unless you're like a zillionaire and you can afford all these things because right now geez even crappy pinball machines are costing five grand yep this allows you to get in there and just uh, from an artistic point of view from an appreciative a historic point of view wanting to learn more about it you really get to experience something close to what these machines were like why the attraction is some of these and i've learned more about steve ritchie than ever before and and even some of our past guests too like george gomez uh really appreciating some of the tables he was involved with as well and you know i got to play taxi and how fun is that pinbot is on there Mm -hmm. and uh, there's an imitation of uh, gorbachev of uh, marilyn monroe and and dracula and things like this so it's it's really fun um the the little nuances but you see some of these speed ramps were uh, like Richie would put in this third paddle and the sole purpose of that paddle was that when you got the ball up top and to make it go around in a circle your job was to kick that with the third paddle so keep doing that loop and loop and loop and loop and loop seeing how many times you can loop and you know that was on black knight black knight 2000 and stuff like that but that was more with the lower flippers but uh, we'll see one of these uh these richie mechanics played out in this ipad game that i want to talk about as well so what have you been playing well it's funny you should mention uh analog toys associated with nintendo licenses i played super mario crystal maze uh which is a marble labyrinth game what uh yeah super uh, mario yeah super mario crystal maze um you i i don't know if it's available anymore at one time it was available at think eight but you can google this and, and take a look for yourself it's basically uh that marble game or that little ball bearing game labyrinth where there would be two dials on either side of a box and you try to navigate a little ball bearing through a maze without falling into the holes this is a little different this has a plastic red joystick that you control the whole tilt and yaw of oh. a uh, plastic table and it's got these little plastic inserts that are clear that are are different portions of a maze and you can lay them out whichever way you want so you can change up the game a few times there are four green pieces and four yellow pieces the green pieces have little castles and the yellow pieces are just sort of navigating through some obstacles and you can play the game whichever way you want 
But the goal of the game is you start at either end of the board in front of the joystick, and you work your way around the mazes, and as the ball bearing hits through one of those castles, it actually pushes a little white plastic flag up to signify that you've beat that board. And then you work your way around the table until you've got all of the white plastic flags raised. And then you go to the blue castle that is uh, the centerpiece of the table, and you work your way up. It's actually a tower. And you work your way up, tilting and yawing to get all the way to the top. And you flip the final flag, which is rescuing Princess Peach. My goodness. Now, it's very interesting. It's very cool. And um, I actually purchased it for my uh, 16-year-old brother as a gift for a birthday, I believe. And (laughs) I think it was for his birthday. Anyway, I played a lot of that since we last spoke because it's just fun. And, you know, whenever I go to see him or hang out, we break it out, play a couple rounds, change it up, and see who can complete it the fastest. It's not much more involved than what I just said. That's about the, uh, for the length of how I described it, is about the length of a game. But it's a cool, novel little thing. And I think I purchased it for about 20 bucks. I'm sure if you dug around the Wiggly Mini Mall, you'd be able to find it as well. You know, the Wiggly Mini Mall, our prices, we try to match exactly the prices that you would find on Amazon. Do you? It should give you the same experience as shopping on Amazon. Do it. Actual <laughs> games that I've been playing, I, okay. uh, I have no time. I've got no time for games. Gotcha. Very busy. I'm, I've been playing a lot of pay the mortgage. And house. Yeah, exactly. Survive, where you work like 55 to 60 hours a week. Yeah. And then you barely have enough time to sleep or feed yourself or go to the bathroom. But you do but, take a turd with your, your, with your eye device. With your eye device, you can drop a deuce and play a game at the same time. Luckily, I have done that with Mega Mall Story. That's now, what Mega I Mall wanted to review. Did you? No, I have no idea what this Let's is. Let's review it together. Okay, I'll make it up because I haven't played it or not. No. Mega Mall Story is game dev story, but with a mall instead of developing a game. It's made by the same developers that made game dev story they also made grand prix story uh, which i did not latch on to i tried it i wasn't enjoying it but i demoed mega mall story and it's the same as game dev story it's just a you know business simulator it's your lemonade stand tycoon type of deal with this you're just in charge of a small little mall and you're trying to grow it bigger and bigger and bigger and the way you do that is by dropping in more shops to attract more shoppers so that you have more money and you can build your mall up. There's investment opportunities. You invest it within the community so that the population grows and more people will go to your mall. There's also things uh, with the shops, with the way you place them, that will create multipliers so that they complement one another. Like if you have, for instance, a butcher, uh, a baker, and not a candlestick maker, but a uh, seafood store together, that creates a plus two for the attraction to go to your mall That because people can access what they need in one place. So you keep the food items together, the electronics together, the entertainment items together, and even which levels you choose to place these stores create different multipliers to keep growing your mall bigger and bigger. Here's what I'll say about the game. It's great the first playthrough i played the demo i played the demo again i played the demo again and they're very smart because they let you play enough of the game to get a real good taste of it but not enough of the game to be satisfied once you buy the game chances are you'll be satisfied with the first playthrough now here's a pro player tip this is for your iphone your ipod 
iPod or your Android, hmm. um, I would not play it on any of those devices. <laughs> I would play it on an iPad if you have one. Now, if you don't have one, you're going to have a hard time touching the, the very small buttons that are involved. This is much more involved with placing items, deleting items, than it was with Game Dev Story. Game Dev Story, you, you know, you, you picked the genre of a game, you titled the game, you picked a system you wanted to put it on, and then you put pluses or minuses in, in building that game stats, you made money. This, you want to systematically place items on a grid. And when the grid is very, very small, as it is with the iPhone and the iPod, you're more prone to mistakenly tap the wrong place, and then you fudge the finger and you hit it mm-hmm. again, and now it's there, and then you delete it, and it's costing you money. I would play it on the iPad if you have that option, and just blow it up big. And because it's the same type of you know 16-bit kitschy sprites that you saw in Game Dev Story or Grand Prix Story, when they're blown up, they don't look horrible at all. They look just the same. Uh, so it's very much playable. But I definitely recommend playing this on a bigger screen with lower resolution than playing it on your phone or your iDevice, a smaller iDevice. Right on, right on. But if oh. you like those type of games, then I, I recommend it. But again, I, I f- didn't feel cheated. I mean, I got plenty of time playing, but I was really, really into the game. And then after I beat it, there was really no reason to go back. I learned mm-hmm. the tricks. I learned some of the multiply, uh, multiplier uh, systems of the game. And I even went into the you know uh, FAQ on how I could do it better. So I'm like, all right, so this time I'll, I'll like max it out. And I started doing that. I'm just like, ah, I've been there, done that, and I moved on. Now, can you put an arcade in your mall? Yeah, there is an arcade, actually. Oh, very good. There's and does an arcade, that lose money? theater. There's um, basic things like a supermarket, ATMs, oh. facilities, benches for people to sit down. There's a lot more in this game than there was in Game Dev Story, which is why I recommend playing it on a bigger screen because there's a lot of pieces in there, mm. and it's really easy to mess them up if, you're, if you don't have enough room to actually see what you're doing and place these items correctly. What if you put too much salt on the french fries? That has no bearing whatsoever in this game. How about in Orange Park Julius? Is a story. Yeah, Orange Julius. Does that happen? You can upgrade the stores, but not in that micromanaged sort of way. And even in okay. the examples you're giving aren't really that great of micromanaging, but it is an example of some micromanaging. Sure. Basically, when a store levels up, you can um, increase the quality okay. and increase the amount of units that it can service. So basically, after. 32 people go to that shop it closes because it's run out of units Mm. once it levels up you can bump it up five so that it can service more people that's the extent you can't say that you know the toy shop should carry buzz light year i guess yeah exactly but i I take that back actually because there are some things that you can invest within the store that are like adding salt to fries but it's not adding salt to fries it's just you get to a point where you can level the store up and say you should invest in croissants and then you invest in croissants and then the bakery now has a little a couple more points within its metric to attract people but it's not like you can say make the croissants more buttery so that they'll go to the coffee shop like it was with adding salt to fries then they're going to the drink stand it doesn't work like that how about planet hollywood can you do that 
No Planet Hollywood, although there are cheesy, corny restaurants that you can place within your mall. Theme theme restaurants, I guess. No, not really. Okay. Theme, just cheesy and corny, like Planet Hollywood. <laughs> okay, very good. Hey, speaking yeah. about pinball, speaking about toilet games, did yeah. you see this in HD? Full HD, they call these. <laughs> Mm. Remember HD six forty by four eighty? Yeah, that is yeah, what I, I consider that. HD. Um, standard definition. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then notwithstanding, uh, evidently somebody turned thirty recently. A frog. Oh, frog yeah. ball. Did you, did you try this frog ball? No. Well, why not? It's fine. It's a fine, fine pinball game, a pinball version. For this. Let's make a, a, a horrible uh, Pac-Man celebration by putting him in a board game. And now let's make a, to celebrate Frogger's, uh, you know, uh, hopping across the highway, of course, put him in pinball. Of course. Uh, but at first glance, this comes off as a cheesy pinball uh, game. And in fact, two pirates spoke about this with him offline. He yeah. doesn't really consider this a pinball game. He considers it a game where enemies come on and you, you hit butterflies with your pinball. And then more different types of enemies come out and you hit snakes with your pinball and things like this. And indeed, that does happen. There's mm. two types of mode, a story mode and a challenge mode. A challenge mode, you're going to see right away the levels that you'll be playing on if you do the story mode. You're Frogger, and you're in a ball, and you're you're smiling, and you're happy that you're in this ball and going to get kicked around. Mm. The nice thing about this, it's one of the few pinball games that works well as a one-screen pinball machine, and that's very important to me. Mm. You have all this real estate on the device, and normally when I play something that's only one screen, I feel like, oh, I'm getting, I'm not really getting a lot of play feel out of this, but I do feel pretty good on this. I think as a, an experience, it feels a lot like that uh, Hakuna Matatas and uh, uh, Bake Your Potatoes Under the Sea and all that. Uh, what's that guy called? Patumba and, and Chumbawamba. You know. Yeah. Them. Under the sea, Hakuna Matata under the sea. I, I think so yeah. glad to be Hakuna Matata under the sea. Oh, yes. That guy. You know, yeah, Lion okay. King, Tumba, right? He's a warthog, and he's with a friend. Sure. He's a meerkat. So if you ever played that for the Mac OS 9, that, that pinball? No. The Hakuna Matata pinball. You never yeah, played I, that? I, I missed it. I'm sorry. He eats grub worms. Of course he does. Well, it's like a combination of that and Metroid, Metroid pinball. You what? played that, didn't you? I did play that. Okay, so it's this cartoony. Now you're too close to home. Well, it's this cartoony-looking version of metroid with hakuna matata in it okay? okay so it actually plays really well it has very good pinball physics and the table what, layout what hakuna matata or the frog game the frogger the frog okay. ball because it's kind of like what is it super mario pinball now see that's what it's not and thankfully okay. it isn't and it also it is not like kirby it, you're pinball. saying you're, you're just hitting enemies unfortunately the, a lot of the targets are enemies that walk around it's not it, it, it's it's not as good as pinball of the dead i don't think we're going to achieve that ever uh it's unfortunate that that doesn't get remade but there's just no money in sake remaking that because if you well or what or pinball Right. Yeah, no. Uh, very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I, you know, I played a couple uh, Sega machines um, in, in the emulation, of course. Did they do Baywatch? I think they did. Uh, that, that one's probably one of their better ones. But I, I played things like Godzilla 
and that is of course of the new the newer Godzilla movie that came out in 2000 which was should have just been called Giant oh, Gray well, Lizard. Yeah. yeah. That's horrible. But uh, let's not get off. Speaking should of have lizards. Been called Never Release. Yes. Terrible. Lousy. Let's talk about Frogger Ball, shall okay. we? Please. So if you play the story mode, you know, Lily, the pink version of Frogger, Frogger's girlfriend, Lily, gets kidnapped oh, yeah. by a space alien, and yeah, of all this happens. But it's not like Mario Ball, uh, except that your hero is now in a ball. I liked Mario Ball. A lot of people didn't. But it's not set up like that. You know, one easy screen, one easy screen. There's actually real pinball layouts to these cartoony-looking pinball machines. But you have all the enemies that walk around, and you're trying to hit those targets. And in a story mode, you fight a boss at the end of each table as well. But if you play this, uh, you know, the challenge mode, you get to choose your stages. A swamp stage, a city stage, and a space stage. And it's in the city stage that it really hit home that this has some layouts. And someone that knows something about pinball was at least looking at one Steve Ritchie gimmick that's incorporated on here. Because, like I mentioned, there is that little elliptical uh, egg-shaped section on the, the top of the stage where if you kick it around, you use the third flipper to keep it trying to go around in this uh, this orbit. So that that's kind of cool when I saw that. But you, you, like, uh, like you mentioned, it is a lot of hitting targets, hitting targets to progress. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's a pretty solid uh, cartoony type of pinball machine that will cost you a dollar Oh, wow, okay. I'm pretty sure this is a dollar, but here's the catch. Let's say you want a Frogger game. It's a Frogger. Here's the catch. Let's say you want to open Lily and you don't feel like completing the story mode. Well, then you use 200 gems. <laughs> well, okay, I see where this you, is going. you own, you get gems at an incredibly slow pace. It should be called Snail instead of Frogger. Snailer. Because it's like freemium, except it's a dollarium. It's a freemium style game. You have all those kitches for power-ups. You know, there's a store where you could buy uh, energy pellets thing that you spend on things. You can buy gems. You can buy uh, different types of balls, a 24-hour ball that does something for you. Who knows? Watch your Um, kids when they're playing this game. Exactly. That happened again, by the way. Oh, did it? Yeah, a couple months back when we talked about Smurf Smurfs, berries yeah. and everything yeah. else. That actually happened again. So that my, wow. uh, my little sister, all six years old of her, is now blacklisted from iTunes. <laughs> I see. Because this I is see. the second time they had to go back oh, and reverse charges. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, for, for a dollar, uh, Frogger Pinball is not bad. Uh, I, I'd say check it out. Uh, definitely worth definitely worth the buck. I think you're going to play it more than the other pinballs that are on there now. I think now, I'm so. not going to play it. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, if you like Hakuna Matatas and your uh, Under doesn't? the Seas and your Froggers and your Metroid Frogs, then uh, your Mario Pinball Frog. Okay. And what was that on again? That's on iDevices? That's the iPad. Okay. Well, sticking with the iPad, let's talk about a good game. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about One-Bit Ninja. I heard of this. You should hear of it, and I think you should check it out. This is a run-and-jump type of game akin to, uh, what is that, Cannonball Run? Cannonball Run? Yeah, not Cannonball. (laughs) Not Cannonball Run. Oh, with the rosary bleeds. Yeah, the rosary bleeds. No, um, it's, uh, what am I thinking? Cannibalt, where you run and jump. Yes, it's it's akin to that, 
but it's not so constant. As far as you control the character by hitting the right side of the screen, and that makes him run. And once you lift your finger off the right side of the screen, he stops running. You hit mm-hmm. the left side to make him jump. Oh. You can't go back. Right. Okay. And now, this is the part that I really enjoy about this game, is that it looks like an original Game Boy game. And the music sounds as if the the the, uh, the this chip tuning type of deal, mm-hmm. where it's got the vibe of an original Game Boy game as far as its soundtrack's concerned, but obviously the music is a lot more um, involved than what could be produced for a Game Boy. Okay. And the same thing goes for the graphics, but the graphics have that monochromatic mm. brown and and white and black look about that spinach green type of deal that the original Game Boy had. And I really, really enjoy this game. You can get it on the cheap. Uh, the price escapes me right now. But if you like that type of run-and-jump paced game, you're probably going to like this, but it's not going to be the whole panic of your character is constantly running and you have to time it to mm. jump. You're actually going to have to pace yourself and watch you know moving platforms and there's enemies and the sounds of the game are like completely aping super mario land okay from when you hit a coin or when you bounce off an enemy and of course there's multipliers when you hit what we'll call goombas but they're not goombas but there'll be a line of them and you can just bounce from one to the other to the other to the other and you get 100 200 300 400 points um so there is a point system involved and uh there's a pretty good category of of, um stages uh each with their own worlds and it's just really cool it's really neat i i'm enjoying this game and it's very challenging the biggest challenge of this game isn't so much the making the jumps or or running and jumping it's trying to beat the clock like you really have to understand each stage by trial and error Mm -hmm. to know that at this point i can run real fast and make this jump but with this other point i need to pace myself and actually wait for the platform or learn the timing of the platforms that way i can run jump jump stop hit these three enemies go up the stairs and here's the best part at the end of the stages yes there's a flagpole-esque flagpole <laughs> waiting for you <laughs> that's great sounds a lot like inspector gadget uh sounds a lot like super mario brothers <laughs> mario land uh, okay obviously you haven't played the ipod version of super no, of, uh, no inspector i did gadget inspector. i'm thinking yeah, it's, inspector it's horrible gadget super nintendo no it's horrible <laughs> is it based off the movie uh no 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 it's it's oh, based off what the, a disappointment it's, it's based off <laughs> It's based off the animation, but it is a freemium game. So how do they work Cannibal into being freemium? That's what I mean. It's just they're going crazy with the freemium, you know? Yeah. The the most important thing to to remember or I need to convey to our audience is that Cannibal, yes, but no, the character is not constantly running. And Mm -hmm. I thought when I was buying the game that that is what I was going to get. I was going to get... My protagonist constantly running, and I had just time jumps. It's not a lot more involved than that, but it's a little more involved than that. And the character doesn't move unless you tell him to move. Gotcha. But the style of it, it's great to see that someone made this choice. Like, when I looked at the Bit Trip series, mm-hmm. I love the fact that Alex Noisy and his group chose that, like, chose that visual style to go with. 
and the same goes for this one bit ninja. Like I like the fact that somebody was was like, we're gonna go with this mm-hmm. because it's it's not really all that impressive, but you know, give it. 10 years, 20 years nostalgia, now it is really impressive <laughs> right, that they went right. with that choice and, and to explore what that was and what it is. It's really cool. I, I like this game. All right, man. Another game that I've been playing uh, is shocking, at least to people who know me, because they've probably wondered, how do you have the time to play this game? And to be honest, I don't, but I needed to play it, or I feel like I need to play it because I feel like I missed out. And that's Final Fantasy IX. Now, I've talked about this on the show in the past, that after Final Fantasy VII, I went into Final Fantasy VIII, and I didn't enjoy it, and I never finished it, and it kind of took me out of the Final Fantasy series, so that the next time I would even pick up a Final Fantasy game was twelve, and Mm. it didn't really have the hooks I was looking for. I thought it would. Played a lot more of that than I did eight, but I kind of dropped out of that as well. But people kept telling me, Kyle, you love the older 8-bit, 16-bit style game of the Final Fantasy series. You should probably go back and check out 9. A lot of people saying that it's one of their favorites. And what system was 9 out for? The PlayStation 1. Okay. And it actually came out in the twilight of that system. It was, you know, that was the last Final Fantasy for that console. And it was one of the last games developed for that console. And it's beautiful. Visually, it's beautiful. I did have to uh, tweak my mind's eye because at first, once you get into the actual in-game graphics, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this game. (laughs) How am I going to play this for the next whatever X amount of hours I'm choosing to dedicate to? But after a while, I kind of got used to it. But what really surprised me was the um, full motion video cutscenes are beautiful. They're very impressive. A lot more impressive than that of 7. So I bought this on PSN, you know, for a couple bucks. And uh, I've been chipping away at it slowly. I've been playing an hour here, an hour there. But the people who told me, hey, you're going to like this, they're right. I do like this. This is, uh, for me, this has all the flavors of what, you know, my palate knows as a Final Fantasy game. It's kind of regimented, so it's like you start out with a thief character And he's going to be a thief for the rest of the game. You meet a black mage, he's going to be a black mage. I mean, I like job systems, but it was nice to get back again to nostalgia, to have such a linear character that this character is going to be a thief. I like the choices that the game made as far as with their weapon system. You're learning skills by using a weapon, and then once you unlock that uh, skill from the weapon completely, you maintain that skill. But again, because of this linear uh, character system, only certain characters can use certain weapons or whatever. Some people might see that as drawback. I kind of liked it. And in a time where JRPGs are kind of like... It's an in-between time for them where people have kind of dropped off on them. There's still a lot of hardcore fans out there, but the JRPG is not as prevalent as it used to be, Mm -hmm. once was. I can go back and play a game like this and really appreciate the craft of this Final Fantasy game. I mean, recently in the news, I've heard about the, the, the latest iteration of the Final Fantasy series, and, you know... 14, it it was evidently unplayable when it was released. 13, I I heard it was mostly walking through hallways and stuff. And maybe I can touch on this later as far as why I believe that's happening. I just think that, you know, that series isn't evolving with the times or is is struggling to evolve with the times. But this game definitely goes back to the roots, hits the notes, 
and is definitely borrowing from the deep, deep past, going back to even Final Fantasy 1 and bringing it into a new light and, 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 you know, for the time, dressing it up and putting a new fresh coat of paint on it. Fans of the older 8-bit, 16-bit genre who haven't tried this game, I'm going to give the recommendation that you do check it out because I think you'll enjoy it. Fans who really enjoyed Final Fantasy VII, I think it's a 50-50 shot because you might be one of the people who really do enjoy the newer iterations. But if you're like me and kind of dropped off at 8 or 10 or 13, you might want to check this one out because for my tastes, for what I recognize as a Final Fantasy game, this has all the flavors I'm looking for. The story and the cinematics, particularly with the cutscenes, talking about Disney has a very Disney-esque vibe about it and for Mm. people who know me well they might think I'm insulting the game right now because (laughs) of my feelings towards Disney Mm -hmm. but it's I'm completely not I'm complimenting this game very much so it has that vibe of like Black Cauldron although that's probably a really bad example because that was a horrible uh, (laughs) box office bomb but like that high fantasy era that uh, I think Final Fantasy forgot about and maybe needs to reel back in. I know they touched on it with their Crystal Chronicles and the tactics, but I think for their main series, they might be better off instead of making it again so, you know, like uh, futuristic or photorealistic. Use the technology to its maximum, but don't forget about style. And don't forget about, you know, a good fighting system or a good magic system. You know, people to this day still want. Materia brought back because it was a system that worked. You know, they always try to change it up, and I can appreciate that. But you don't want to ignore the things that were successful. And I'm not saying just give the fans what they want. I'm saying remember things that built the franchise, made it successful, made it a hit, and that's what's going to bring you success in the future. You don't, you can't rely on a new console to sell the series anymore. Mm-hmm. You got to do something new, even if it is reinventing something old. What type of time frame is this set up in? I have no oh. idea. Okay, I mean, never mind. As far as for me to complete? No, I mean, uh, like, what era do the characters oh, look era, like? I mean, in? that's so hard with the, a Final Fantasy game because yeah. you have, like, flying Science ships. And and there's been, I mean, there's Final Fantasy games where you've gone to the moon and stuff like this. <laughs> um, I would say that for if you were blind to the series and you didn't see a single screenshot of this game ever... I would say it's high fantasy steampunk. So you're dealing with knights and dragons and monsters, and you have the flying ships, of course. You have the chocobos. You have the moguls. You have the magic there, but you also have technology. And and it has all the tropes of a Final Fantasy game. You have Mm -hmm. your crystals in there. You have the division between technology and um, nature and the conflict between those two things. But if I was to pinpoint a time frame... You're looking at a medieval fantasy steampunk-esque setting. Did I answer your question? Yeah. No? No, that's good. Hey, man, stick around for the council. French fries. Yes. Kyle Von Kubik. And let me tell you, we have a lot of fun merch coming your way in the Pro Gear store. So stop by wetalkgames.com, click on Pro Gear, and check out some of the stuff we already have in there, and look for new merch coming your way shortly. Hey, let's get Eric Alex on a show. Eric Alex in the Ohio, Wisconsin region. 
Wisconsin. Yeah, it's but it's around that area, Ohio, Some, somewhere. Wisconsin, it's in the Midwest, Chicago. Got it. Yeah, those are all like a fifteen-minute drive. Yeah, yeah, I, California I can go from uh, from Madison here to uh, Ohio in about fifteen minutes. That's about right. <laughs> you have a good time off from yeah, the good old We Talk games here. I suppose so. I got to live through the summer of arcade. Right, and a lot of people don't realize that the We Talk Games crews, although we're not on during the summer seasons, that's when we're out on location doing the different segments for the show during our normal run. By location, you mean downstairs from here by the TV? Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, yep, <laughs> that's where I was. Right on. So uh, you actually played some video games, I guess. You weren't just playing pinball the entire summer. I played I played a little pinball, but, uh, but yeah, definitely uh, definitely some video games. Now, what type of pinball? Are you serious? You played some pinball? Well, I play Pinball Effects 2. Okay, I got you, got you. Well, you know what? It ain't bad. It ain't bad. Yeah. I got to tell you what puts Pinball Effects 2 to shame, though. A new version of Scared Stiff came out. Now, I don't know if you remember that table in the arcade. That was the second in the uh, Elvira oh. series. Uh, the first was, of course, called Elvira and the Party Monsters, and the second one was called Scared Stiff. Get it? Because it's yeah. double entendre there. Yes. Uh, because, uh, you know, this is just amazing. First of all, it came out as a visual pinball table, and it was great. And then uh, a friend of mine, Roseva, I don't even know how you supposed to say his name, Roseva. You, you might not know this, but uh, not only am I a two-time voice actor in video game commercials and a one-time voice talent on a actual video game, but I'm also, uh, but I also play the music in the original Space 1999 table by Roseva. He uh, featured a song that I actually made for Kyle called. Pace 1999. See, huh. that's that's different. That's how I can't get sued because mine's called Pace 1999, and of course <laughs> their theme song is called Space 1999. But uh, he used it in the in the third ball that you get. So I was uh, delighted about that. But he uh, made this animated backlash that actually had this spinning spider wheel uh, that happens on the backlash, and that was fantastic. But then JP Salas and Jimmy Fingers, Jimmy Fingers uh, did. The light mod. The original table was, uh, was put together by J.P. Salas. Uh, you know, it's all recreation stuff. And then Rosva did the, the animated backlash, and now Jimmy Fingers did an eight-step, three-zone light fading effect on this, and it is just unbelievable. It puts pinball effects to shame. And this hmm. is from you know an original community over that over there at vpforums.org. Hmm. Yeah, sounds cool. Okay, that's my aside. Now, what do you got in the video games area? Uh, well, uh, this game wasn't actually in the Summer of Arcade, but they uh, talked it up during the Summer of Arcade. Did, are they still doing that? The Summer of, Ar- uh, the summer of Arcade? Sorry, well, yeah, I, I hit yeah, my head definitely. before that. Uh, it, it seems to be a pretty popular promotion for them. They, they release a bunch of Xbox Live Arcade games across the summer. And usually, if you buy all of them, you get a discount or a free game. Let me ask What's, you this, Eric, Alex. How yeah. the hell do you know you got your discount? I, I mean, you got to be searching and saving your receipts for these things because <laughs> I did the first summer of arcade. I don't even know if I got anything back. This one's promotion was actually if you bought all of the uh, five, six games in the summer of arcade, you got 
this other game that came out after the Summer of Arcade for free. Okay, well, that's a little bit easier to track. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm sorry I interrupt you. Go ahead. Tell us about this Xbox Live Arcade doohickey. It's a game called Crimson Alliance, and they released some screenshots and some trailers. It looked a lot like Diablo. And I was pretty excited for that because it's been a while since there's been a Diablo game out. And it's a good, solid genre to do. Sure. Uh, so I didn't buy all of the Summer of Arcade games because uh, I didn't really like any of them. <laughs> Bastion was okay. okay. I tried Bastion. I, I never got into it enough to buy it. But the demo for that was pretty fun. The let rest me, of them kind of left me cold. Yeah, let me tell you this. A lot of people, they go in, they uh, they see these sales, and they say, oh, three for 15, that's going to save me $5. Well, guess what? You spent 10 extra dollars that you weren't going to spend if you only bought the first one for $6. Yeah, and one of those $5 was Fruit Ninja Connect. Oh, so, I see. See, that's... Jo- joke's on you. <laughs> right, because you don't have that Connect, do you? No, no. Yes, you can wave your controller around and not do anything. Pretend. <laughs> yeah. I do. There's a certain amount of waving going on. <laughs> Very good. So tell me about this Crimson Sea. Well, the Crimson Alliance is ah. a game. Uh, I, I had to look it up. I forgot who it was by. But I looked it up. It's by Certain Affinity. Hopefully, they'll continue to only make games that abbreviate to CA, just like the name of their company. But Crimson Alliance... It's not actually like Diablo at all. And let me tell you, when I first played this game, my first thought on it was, oh, this isn't what I wanted. And then I set it aside. And then a couple days later, I thought to myself, I'll give that another try. I I went back, I tried it again, and I was like, well, it plays pretty well, but it's not like Diablo, so it's just not what I was looking for, and I set it aside. I found myself a couple days later, I went back to it, I played the demo again. By this point, I was like, okay, I must be sold, because you don't go back to a demo three times if you didn't like it. Right. So this game, it's not like Diablo. It looks like Diablo. It's it's an isometric, third-person action RPG. Okay. But there's no... There's no leveling up or skill trees or any of that stuff. Uh, There's not the uh, signature random loot that you get in Diablo. Uh, The loot is parceled out over the course of the game. Gives you specific uh, predetermined bonuses, so there's no finding the ultimate lucky gun or sword or whatever. Or whacking stick. Yeah. So this game, it's just basically... It's basically... The good part of the game is how well it plays. And the game plays like like butter skidding across a hot pan. Mmm. Delicious. <laughs> it is a delicious game. And I was surprised at how much I liked it. At first, it seems to control very simply. Uh, you, the four face buttons, the A button is dash, the X button is light attack, the Y button is heavy attack, and the B button is some sort of special attack for each of the three characters. But then when you get into it, you find that the characters are actually, all three of them are very different from each other, and they all have something that's really cool about them. Like the assassin's heavy attack is actually a dash out and stun move, Uh, and as you get uh, weapons and armor that increase the amount of points you get in stun, 
it'll go out and stun a bunch of people. So if mm. you point the joystick at a group of three enemies coming in, hit Y, uh, your assassin will run over and stun all three of them. And then you can, at your leisure, wander up to them or slide up to them with your dash move and kill them. The mercenary, uh, the other melee-based class, if you use the Y button, it's just a heavy attack. He slides forward, and he takes his sword, and he swings it with both hands, and he does a lot of damage with it. It's a completely different feel. His stun move is actually his B button. It's a shield bash, and he'll bash the guys, and they'll stand there with little birdies chirping around their head, and then he can <laughs> chop them up. It seems like, at first, that these two characters play exactly the same way, but... The mercenary, he swings his sword in a big arc. He can hit three or four people at a time. The assassin is stabbing people with daggers. She can only stab one person at a time. But her Y button move will stun three or four people to keep them off her back. And, of course, you can play this game cooperatively online or locally, which it seems fairly popular with some of my friends, actually. Okay. Now, what type of theme is this? Like Vikings, Robin Hoods? What's going on here? It's like, um, I'd say it's sort of generic high fantasy. Okay. Uh, there's sort of a um, storyline kind of taken from uh, the old stories of Merlin and Morgana from the movie Excalibur. Or gotcha. Going all the way back. The, the, the wizard character, the third character of the uh, game, he was the advisor to this princess who turned evil, seduced him and got all of his secrets and then banished him to hell for centuries and then when he comes back from hell he goes off to save the world and of course the world's fallen into disrepair in his absence mm. it's not really a super dark game although you don't really run into anybody that's not evil in the game except for the merchants it's not really a horror game there's undead monsters but they're skeletons and when you hit them bones fly off comically so it's not really, like, as dark as a game like Diablo, either. When, when do you think they're going to make a, a video game version of Legend with Tom Cruise? <laughs> um, I think that perhaps that ship has sailed. Mm, they might have not missed Not for their me, brother. Not for me. <laughs> I have to recommend Crimson Alliance. At least try the demo and see if it draws you in like it did to me. You know, there's not enough Tim Curry games. Well, uh... I think that's probably not true at all. Oh. <laughs> hmm. There you ha- well. I don't know. Was don't there know a licensed Muppet Treasure Island? <laughs> there was. Wait a minute. I have that for my Mac. Well, there you go. I, He's probably in it. Th- he probably is. I'm going to have to break that out and <laughs> try to fire up my uh, G4 Cube. There you go. I might be able to play it on there in OS 9. <laughs> well, what else you got, pal? Another game I've been playing a lot this summer. Hey, hey. Hold on a minute. Hold on. I made you some toast. Oh, thanks, Stinky. Stinky made me. He made you toast. He's going to mail it to you, I guess. Thanks, Stinky. It wouldn't be the first time he's mailed me bread. That's true. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) That's awful nice of you, Stink. Thanks a lot. How did you even know I was hungry? Well, I'm just going to... I don't know. I don't usually like to, you know, eat uh, when I'm doing a show, but, you know, you can tell me about this game. I was just, that's a little tangy. It's, uh, it's tangy. Huh. Uh-huh. Uh, sorry, Eric, Alex. Go, go ahead with your thing there. 
I always try to bring something pretty obscure to the table when I come on to We Talk Games. So yeah. this game is a game called King of Dragon Pass. It's out for the iOS. Now, uh, what iDevice do you have? I have an iPod Touch. Okay. I like my iPod Touch. Yeah, it's the perfect thing to take with you to work and have in your pocket. Uh, and that's that's what I use this for. I play these games basically for about 15 minutes while I eat lunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've found that when I'm looking for an iPod game, I want something that I can pick up for 15 minutes and then put down and be able to come back to it later. Because the, the lighter games, they don't really do much for me. Uh, the games that you would typically think of in terms of playing in 15 minutes and then putting it aside. Right. Uh, but King of Dragon Pass is um, its a pretty heavy game, actually. But it's turn-based, and it's text-based, so you don't need to have any uh, manual dexterity with your touchscreen to play this game, really. Okay. Um, it's a little hard to describe, but it's a game by a company called A-Sharp. It's based in a uh, pen-and-paper RPG world called Glorantha, which has been around for must be 30 years now. Uh, it's the setting for a system called RuneQuest. And mm-hmm. this game, King of Dragon Pass, originally came out on the PC quite some time ago. And in it, you play a clan of uh, basically hill barbarians uh, herding cattle and raiding their neighbors. It's kind of a, kind of a Bronze Age or early invasion of Britain age type of feel to it but it's also high fantasy so there's dragons and trolls and uh, elves and various other anthropomorphic ducks and things like that running around oh now when when you say it's text-based well it's text-based typically you'll be presented with a situation uh like one of your thanes will have sworn vengeance on someone in a neighboring tribe and It'll give you a couple of paragraphs of description, and then it'll give you a few choices, usually four or five choices. Also, at the same time, there's going to be a still image, a piece of art to show you the mood of, the, of what's going on. And then based on your decisions, things will happen to your tribe, and your tribe kind of grows and evolves over the course of years of gameplay time in between dealing with these situations that come up you can increase the size of your fields and try to buy cows from your neighbors. Cows are very important to the hill barbarians, apparently. <laughs> this game isn't going to be for everybody. I'll just I'll put that out there right now. You gotta want to get into this game. The mythology, and it's a fake mythology, you know, for this Glorantha game, is very important to the course of the game. And you will do much better if you take the time to read all of the myths of your little hill tribe. They worship a god named Orlanth, uh, or Orlanthi, or they're the Orlanthi, and they worship Orlanth. And uh, he and his pantheon did a bunch of mythological stuff, which apparently you're going to, and I haven't gotten this far in the game, because I play it for 15 minutes a day at lunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Apparently, over the course of the game, you're going to have your tribe emulate the actions of their gods in mythological times. And through doing that, you're going to unite all of the various hill tribes around you and become the King of Dragon Pass, which is the name of the game. 
one of the really interesting things about this game is it's I guess this was true of The Witcher as well. Decisions you make will come back to haunt you seasons or years later in game time. Hmm. Just as an example, uh, I was playing and one of my farmers came up to me and said that her prized stallion was missing. And she knew that this neighboring tribe person had stolen it. And she demanded that we raid the tribe to take the horse back. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask your you can ask your advisors for uh, for helpful advice, and they typically none of them will agree with each other on what to do. Uh, so you kind of get to know them and decide which ones have the good advice. And after consulting my advisors, I decided I would bring a suit against the family that she thought had stolen the the horses and of course we lost because we had no proof so i thought well that's the end of it it, it gave me a little unhappy face said that I, <laughs> my farmers had lost some of their morale and i'm like okay good enough and then lo and behold the next spring i get another event and the event comes up and it says hey your farmer's kids went and found where the stallion was being hidden over in their neighboring tribe land and they took the horse back. Of course, they had to kill some people to do it. Mm. So what do you do? Do you praise them? Uh, do you demand that they make reparations to the, uh, to the neighboring tribe? And, you know, keeping in mind, you're eventually trying to unite all of these neighboring tribes into one kingdom under you. So do you cave in? Do you say, okay... Yeah, let's give some some cows over to the neighboring tribe to uh, smooth the ruffled feathers. Or do you say, oh, you know what? My farmer was in the right. You guys were in the wrong. Let's fight over it. It just kind of goes like that. I guess this was originally released uh, for Mac and, and PC in oh, I didn't know it was 1999. Yeah, it was built on a Mac. Uh, yeah. I, I remember this company, A-Sharp, and uh, I guess, like you mentioned, it has its roots as far back as like 1975 with the, the original, the, what would you call the, the people that played like Gamma World? <laughs> well, the, it's the one of the first generation of the tabletop RPGs. That's it. But, RuneQuest, and RuneQuest has been through a, a number of uh, editions. It's been a fairly popular system over the years, but uh, I, w I have to say the, the video game doesn't actually share any rules with the RuneQuest RPG system. And in fact, a lot of, in a lot of cases, the, your success or failure chance as you're taking actions isn't necessarily apparent because all the numbers are kind of behind the scenes. But I, I from reading the manual, it sounds like you basically have a percentage chance to succeed at doing something, and it depends on the skills of your of your leaders and things like that. So, like I said, I mean, th this game's not for ev everybody. There's no action to it. It is turn based and it's text based. I have to highly recommend reading the manual, which is lengthy. It's quite lengthy, and you have to be willing to read. All those myths that, uh, and there's there's a lot of them. I mean, this is a well developed mythology. So it's like a book and a game. Yeah, kind of. And, yeah. and can you die? My understanding is is that once you try to win, if you don't win, you lose. <laughs> this is what this is what the manual told me. Wow. And it said you can. 
uh, you can go for a long time without trying to win, which is the phase of the game I'm in. But apparently when you try to actually form all of the uh, hill tribes into a kingdom, if you fail at that, the game will end and you will lose. Very cool, very cool. Hey, all right, man. Well, hang on the line for the council. Will do. Eric Alex, Eric Alex, Odeo Doe, 23, Skidoo, and uh, let's go to Johnny Capcom. Uh, I bet, I hope this isn't too loud. Is it going to peak? No. Okay, here we go. Go away, go! Oh, it peaked. Go away, go! I don't, I don't see your buttons moving. Okay, now you are there. Now you can start. You say Galway, you might as well say Arkham City go, because that's where I'm spending all of my time right now. I see. Now, is that anything like the PlayStation Home? Well, it's fun and really kind of like groundbreaking and, you know, just amazing. So, no. Okay. Uh, can you Can you pretend you're a girl in here? Even though you're uh, you're Johnny yeah, you can Capcom, Catwoman. Uh, oh, you can. Okay, yeah. and do you go up and proposition other male characters around Gotham City? Yeah, you go up and do the robot in front of them. <laughs> uh, you know about this? Okay, very good, <laughs> very good. Now, uh, so uh, this is this is big news. Uh, I'm glad you're back from the break. Obviously, you've been playing some games and and actually some newer titles as well. So that's good. Um, my. Uh, Video gaming has been quite limited, as I've mentioned throughout the show. So it's good to find out about video games, especially what's hot in Ireland, which is, of course, the Batman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a hard thing to get me out of bed in the morning. You know, I'm a, I'm a late night, afternoon kind of guy. You know, uh, if I have an appointment, I'll make it barely. But I won't, you know, like, I'm not going to force myself out of bed at 8. I'll get up. If I get up be somewhere at 9, I'll get out of bed at, say, 10 to 9 and then just run. Well, for the 9 a.m. opening of uh, my local HMV to go grab Arkham City, I was up at 10 to 8. <laughs> <laughs> I could not wait to play that game. And I got to give... Uh, Special thanks to uh, all of the people from uh, your United States who have gotten to know through We Talk Games, who I'll be friends with through you know the social media networks and all that, who didn't spoil any part of uh, Arkham City on me. I, I kind of asked them specially, and nobody was on there going, "Hey, it's it, you know, it's this, that, and the other." And I'm not right. going to do my, I'm going to do my best not to spoil any story elements here while we're talking. Okay. Fantastic game. Uh, if you like the Arkham Asylum, it's uh, that it's bigger. You know, it's more open. There's more side missions. Uh, I'm not sure if it's better than Arkham Asylum. To be honest with you, it's not thing to say. I mean, I love it, and it's, I think it's my game of the year. But I'm not sure. I think it's just because it's not new. You know, oh, when I got you you. played when you played Arkham Asylum first, it was just like, what? What is this? I've never you know really done this combination of everything that's right. great in front of me before whereas you have done it with um this game you know it's it's you're familiar but they throw you in there the story is great uh, you've got the um you got the voice cast that you want you know you got a uh, kevin conroy and mark hamill in there doing their thing oh and, good you know uh, the guy who does the voice acting for hugo strange is great uh you know so you know all i mean visually it doesn't really quite resemble any one 
iteration of Gotham City that you may have seen before in the comics and the movies, you okay. know. Well, uh, let me ask you this. This is very important to me to know. Any super gorillas? Oh, I haven't been to the zoo yet. Okay, because, you know, that's my thing. Gras. That's my type of thing, is any type of super gorilla. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the superhero family uh, comics, you know. Anything that said Superman family or Batman family, I don't know. Yeah, I think that was right. And, you know, they on the cover they're usually fighting some sort of super gorilla family. Well, you fight... Well, no, that'd be spoiling. Yeah, don't you spoil. Of- don't spoil it. I just want to know a super gorilla. Yes or no? I don't. I don't specifically need to know any super gorilla's name. Not so far. Mm. Uh, I ha- I haven't run into Gorilla Grodd yet. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. I played the Fantastic Four game back for the PS One. Where was the Red Ghost? He had those smart monkeys too. Who's to say? How come in these Fantastic Four movies, you don't fight super monkeys with the Red Ghost? Well, you're too busy in the Fantastic Four movies, I guess, fighting uh, terrible versions of beloved villains like uh, yeah. Galactus and... Uh, uh, I think Galactus was like a, a cloud or a fart or something in yeah, one where, of movies. Where were, where were his hot pants? That's yeah. why I watched for Galactus. It's the big head, the purple, and the, the, the hot pants, as you said. Like, you now, know. I saw the Iron Man movies. Both of them. Yeah, I saw both Iron Mans. Nowhere did I see MODOK. What's going on here? Well, I see, the thing is, like, the first Iron Man movie, I think they tried to focus more on just, you know, honing in on making Tony Stark likable. <laughs> and in the second movie, they tried to make him next to Hitler as far as being unlikable. So there's sort of a going with that. And then if you want your Modoc, you got to go and play the um, the Marvel Ultimate Alliance versus Capcom game. Now, I watched every DC movie. I watched the Green Lantern. I watched uh, the other one that came out. The Jonah Hex? No, I didn't watch that. Now, were there any super gorillas in there? I don't know. I can't tell okay. you. Watch it. the rest of the world. Watched all the Batman. <laughs> watched all the Batmans. Uh, except I don't. Th- I think I didn't see one. I think I saw them all, uh, and they all stunk. And uh, I didn't see any super gorillas in there. Now, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> St- so tell us more about uh, Arkham and um, uh, Arkham uh, City. Well, basically, it's a you know, it's a third-person action game. Uh, a lot of puzzles in there, and a lot of gameplay. You're gonna get your money's worth out of this. You know, I played it for um, seven hours the first day I got it, and I was like eight percent with through the game. You know, I think unless you've been living under a rock for a long time, you're gonna know what Arkham Asylum is, and you're gonna know whether you want to play it or not. Like you know. Uh, Go go get it if you like if you if you like Batman and that's the thing like th- these games they're great video games but they're also essential Batman material. Okay. So if you're if you're a Batman fan and you don't like video games, one way would you be listening to this? But two, you need to play it to be getting your full Batman experience. You know, it, these are the, these are monumental works in the Batman uh, Batman mythology. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, I, I saw, you know, the commercials for this, and I don't know, the art looked a little different. It's a bit cleaner looking. Like, Batman's clean-shaven. 
Uh, there's that. Okay. His suits, you know, obviously he's not wearing the same suit because, I mean, the cod piece alone from the first uh, game would have so much exerted sweat on it that I'd imagine it would be a fishy nightmare. Like, you know? Right. Everyone's kind of changed around. People have had time to, to very you know vary up their uh, their attire and their the gameplay itself like the I, I can't remember the name of the system they put on it, but you know where you can dodge and block and do all your uh, counter attacks that's pretty much the same except it's there's better moves in there like uh, and I, I I will spoil this one thing uh, you know when you're in the grates in Arkham Asylum yeah the grits was, yeah the, like you're with under- butter and salt yeah grits. And uh, but when you're underground and you're kind of going around and you can see, you know, people are walking over the grates that you, you uh-huh. were under. Right. And you, you, you know, the first game I was thinking I should be able to take them down or I should be able to pull them into this. Well, in this game, Batman does have the he has the best takedown from those grates. He jumps up and gives these uh, thugs a swinging DDT. Wow. Yeah, he does choke slams in this game. He does uh, a lot of DDTs. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of judo moves in there, which I personally mark out for. Right, sure. And um, there's, it's just bigger. It feels like a big movie sequel, but it's a game. Okay. You know? Now, is Bruce Wayne in this one? Uh, yes, he is. Oh, very good. That's that's kind of cool because he was. I think it was divorce. Well, I, I never beat the first one. I'm have to, I have to go back to once I start my systems back up. I don't know if they're going to start up right away. You know? Yeah, I'm thinking though you might go and you might have a, that Xbox that hasn't been turned on in in five months. You might have a special present waiting for you. Yeah, there, like, you know? yeah. You might have a new brick for your house. Right. Hey, that's all right. Those new Xboxes look kind of cool anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, we'll talk about a lot of that uh, in in the council. Oh, I know what I saw. Thor. Oh, my gosh. My brain is Thor from watching that. What are they, Tron? Jumping around like the Matrix and everything. This is supposed to be Norse mythology. Ah, just a piece of pup. I disagree. I enjoy Thor. Horrible! Well, moving on. And yet, still, no MODOK, even in Thor. What, what about uh, fighting Zack in uh, Hulk or something? That's what should have happened. All right. Well, yes. you know, I think you just need to start your own production company. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm gonna, my first movie is going to be The Spot. One of my favorite heroes, The Spot. Steve Ditko? Nothing. Crickets. No, well, well uh, I, I actually I ran into a couple of like home printed Steve Ditko comics recently, but you know I can't say I read. Them. I just kind of looked at them. <laughs> well, that's you know it's sequential art, so you could just look at them. Now, yeah. uh, talking about video games and what's hot with the kids, the last game, the last video game I played before the break was an arcade game. Uh, this bar that I frequent, Sloppy Joe's, I don't know if you heard of it. They got a new arcade game in there. It's a two-player game from Namco from 1994. I don't know if you played it. It's a one-on-one fighter, The Outfoxies. I've never heard of it. Well, you're going to love this one. Imagine elevator action as a one-on-one fighting game. 
the characters and the layouts will remind you a bit of a more exotic uh, elevator action too. You you enjoy that one. I enjoy. Oh that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know this is pure pixels. And <laughs> the funny thing is that the heavy in the game, I think, is watching videos on all these monitors of the uh, participants that are going to take part in this tournament that he's putting on, um, and. He's watching these different video screens of all these people going through their fighting moves, and it zooms in sort of like, uh, I don't know, CSI style, except that they don't redraw those pixels. So when you see these zoom-ins, it, it looks like two pixels fighting each other, like a, <laughs> you know, a pink pixel fighting a brown pixel, uh, and that's their face. So that's that's kind of cool in the intro. But this is, like I said, it looks it looks very much like Elevator Action Two, except that it's more exotic. Like one takes place in a giant aquarium museum, or you have your standard storage type of Elevator Action apartment building with elevators as well. But it also has like a helipad and uh, a lot more surprises in there as well. Plus, for me, the must-have for any type of adventure or fighting game, a train. Oh, well, are you fighting atop the train? or You fight on top the train. You fight in the train. It's a steam locomotive, and you fight all over it. And it's actually a pretty short train. There's, there's not many uh, passenger compartments. There's a caboose, and I think there might be a coal, coal tr- uh, car right in back of the main locomotive. But then if, like, if you punch the guy off the locomotive or the gal or the monkey or the guy in a wheelchair, then they go rolling, 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 rolling all the way in back back of the, the train and then here they come uh speeding on to the uh, caboose and a hand car and then they get back on the train and you continue fighting you can punch and kick of course but the main focus is in using weapons like in power stones and you can throw boxes you have guns you have bazookas uh bombs grenades machine guns uh flamethrowers molotov cocktails you name it in one part Spoiler alert, you even throw pies at uh, one another. And now, all the while that you're doing all this fighting and running around and hooting and hollering, there's this fuse timer that weaves through the level, and it'll start destroying certain parts of the environment, like the floor or... uh, as I mentioned in that aquarium, there's this giant whale, and it'll eventually fall onto this trident of Poseidon statue. There's this giant uh, top of a Poseidon statue with its trident, and this whale will fall on top of it. And then the aquarium bursts, and there's sharks and electric eels and piranhas, and you have to get at, try to keep above them on other platforms so that they don't eat you and kill you. And, you know, keep in mind, this is a one-on-one fighter. So, and, you know, it's a 1994 game, but it features a camera zoom and a camera pullback of, like, a Super Brawl Brothers. In fact, it's very much like uh, a 2D Super Brawl Brothers with original characters, though. You know, I have Kirby and King, you know, Blimpo or whatever the hell their names are. And there's a lot more level interaction. So that's why I think it's more like Power Stone, but 2D versions of all these. Well, looking at it here, there's a character in here called John Smith, right? There is. So is this like is he the 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 Jesus guy? No, he is the main elevator action type of guy, and I think he's supposed to be John McClane because oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, Die Hard, Elevator. What what uh, they called Di- Dynamite Cop? They called uh, Die Hard, but they, you know that was that was after Dynamite this. Dynamite Decca. 
Dynamite Deca, indeed. Um, the character choices, all the character choices are, are interesting. You have Dweeb. He's an intelligent monkey in a tuxedo and a top hat. There's a porn star with an iguana. There's a creepy pair of twins. A professor that's in a wheelchair, and he trained his wheelchair to do judo and kung fu and everything uh there's a big fella i think he's some type of uh physicist or something but he has a metal hand and he looks like a giant bodyguard type of guy uh, there's a blonde businesswoman and uh, like you mentioned john smith and to top it off the mastermind behind this typically crappy reason to have uh, get together a tournament like this of people to just fight each other for no reason is named mr acme and I think there's, uh, there's also something to do with uh, murder and art collecting. And there's a very funny final battle as well. But the, the, just for an example of how fun this is, um, in that elevator action apartment type level, you begin on the top floor near that, that helipad, and there's a helicopter up there as well. So as this fuse winds through, it'll eventually knock out the floor under the helicopter, and then the, ho- the helicopter will slowly begin to crash through and wreck each floor of the stage. You can see maybe, if the camera pulls back, maybe you can see three or four levels of this building, and as it zooms in, maybe you'll see three. It honestly seems... Like, the stage goes down forever, this play field. If you get a second player and just try to live long enough till you get to the sub-sub-basement, it's uh, it's really amazing how deep this thing is. And the floors are very varied. Uh, So right underneath this whole thing that just looks like elevator action, you're going to pop out at this fancy dinner hall, and then it gets even more diverse as you go through all these levels there's also an annoying circus level it's uh, frustrating but it's also very funny and enjoyable very very cool game out foxies 1994 by namco this is for the arcade then yeah yeah they as far as i know they've never released it for anything except the arcade Okay, well, I don't know. I'll have to look around and see if there's any arcades with it. Yeah. Hey, you know what they should make a game out of? Lancelot Link. Which is? Oh, he was, uh, he was a chimpanzee version of Get Smart. Oh, I'm getting a kind of a primate theme to this episode. Mm. Uh, you know, you're you're right on with that. I must have monkeys on the mind. Have you been playing Donkey Kong Country Returns? No. Well, then why don't you get on it? <laughs> I haven't played a video game since before the break. <laughs> well, at least we're doing a video game show then. We're I haven't turned on my know? Xbox for five months. Preparation personified. <laughs> uh, so well, what else we got? Well, you know, speaking of fantasy lands, okay, like, uh, you know, where you're in this, you know, mad kind of a... Uh, Worlds where things are blowing up and you know things that could never happen are happening. Hmm. I played a game similar to that. It was called Homefront. I have never uh, heard of this. It is essentially Red Dawn. The game. I don't know if you remember Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Uh, no, that was Hunt for Red October. That was on the Super Scope. Um, Red Dawn was about Patrick Swayze and his friends in uh, the 1980s uh, United States, and it gets there's an invasion from uh, the Soviet Union and Cuba who come in and take over and destroy McDonald's and all that kind of stuff. Oh, right. That was based on a true story. It was, yeah. Um, this one is uh, 
and it's the same thing. It's by this, it's actually the guy who directed and wrote Red Dawn, uh, John Milius. He wrote the script for Homefront, and uh, basically he switched out uh, Russia with North Korea. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, well, the reason I say Fantasyland is because the idea that uh, an economically crippled nation like North Korea could even make a dent in any part of America is ludicrous. Okay. But, uh, you know, hmm. militarily speaking, this could never happen. True, right, right. Nuclear yeah. speaking, it, it may happen. Uh, I don't know. No, it's, okay. it's just so unrealistic. Very good. Trust me, this couldn't happen. It's one of the weirdest setups ever, but you're there anyway. You don't really... They kind of go, uh, North Korea invaded, and now America's on its knees. And that's where you are when you're you start playing it. You're like a, a helicopter pilot, and, they, and the resistance who are going up against the... Um, the North Korean invading forces, they need you to do something that's never really quite explained fully. But basically, you're in a squad and you go around shooting people in North Korean uniforms. And uh, there's a story in there, and it's, you know, it's you're getting from place to place. And the, the game is more kind of concerned with showing you the impact on like small society a lot of the the shootouts will take place in fast food places and you know just very normal kind of everyday uh, locales and uh, there's a lot of brutality in the game and you're given reason straight away to want to uh, to want to win because uh, the invading North Koreans are they're uh, they're tyrants you know handles well it's a good uh, technically it's a great shooter uh, it's very linear but uh, if you like that kind of I don't know how to put a self-righteous, um, conservative fantasy about you know about war uh, in any kind of way. Uh, then I'd say you'd enjoy it. If you like films like Red Dawn and stuff, you definitely dig it. And if you just want a, a quick kind of throwaway shooter experience, then go for it as well. I don't, I don't play a multiplayer. I'm not that guy. Uh, but uh, I, I play through story mode, and I'd say 12 hours of gameplay, maybe not much, obviously, but it. Skips along at a decent beat, and you kind of, you know, you definitely feel the struggle. And there's some very cool elements to it, but uh, I didn't have any qualms about trading in for uh, credit when I wanted to get my Arkham City, you know? Now, what shoe is this foot? What? Uh, <clears throat> what what uh, system? This Game is, Boy. Uh, this is for the uh, Xbox 360. Oh, so you yours is fixed now. Yes. Oh, no, I got a new one. Oh, you got a new one. Okay, very good. And you, you download this? You buy it in the in the shop. Oh, you do really? Yeah. Who made this? THQ. My third game this month is another game by THQ, and one I'm sure you'd enjoy if you played video games anymore uh, is uh, WWE All Stars. Oh yeah, you know I'm I'm waiting for this to drop down to like eight dollars, and then I will buy it. Well, it's going to be worth those eight dollars because. It's not a simulator. <laughs> right, right, you know? yeah. That's why, you know, that, that's what attracts me to it, of course. I was very hyped up for this, even. Oh, yeah, and you're, it's a big, huge, over-exaggerated arcade game. Matches last, like, five minutes, maybe. There's a couple of different classes, like you're a, a technical wrestler or a brawler or a giant or a high flyer. There's not many game modes. There's, like, cage match and regular match and attack match, and that's it. Okay. But the fun of it is chaining these mad sequences and moves together. Right. Like, if you're Andre the Giant, okay, you can, because you're so big, you can charge up a punch that'll knock someone out of the ring. And they'll go 20 foot up in the air. If <laughs> right, you're right. Uh, the Macho Man, because he's a high flyer, you can run up to someone 
drop kick them so hard that you'll propel yourself onto the opposite side of the ring's top turnbuckle. <laughs> if you're a technical wrestler, you can do reversals that last for like 20 chains. So if you got like Bret Hart for oh, gotcha. uh, someone, you know, someone will try a, a move, on, you know, try and do a suplex on you and you'll reverse that into body slam, which will reverse into a clothesline, which will reverse, reverse, reverse. All the action takes place in like singles, regular singles matches, but it's so much fun to play. It's just so over the top. I mean, you're, yeah, if you did these moves in real in the real world, you would kill everybody. <laughs> now, do know? bats fly out of the, the Undertaker and hearts fly out of Shawn Michaels? Almost. Okay. That's the only thing that's missing uh, from it being that. Uh, I mean, the commentary is a bit inane, as it always is in these types of games. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So who who are the commentators, Taz and Bruno Sammartino? No, it's... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, uh, the commentary team is actually uh, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson. There you go. Uh, but, uh, no, it's uh, Jim Ross and uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, so it's... Any twisty I mean, rockets that happen? Uh, no, sadly. Uh, uh, and no shoe action either. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing with the game is... Very Ow! Sorry, something happened. Like thunder. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But... The game is very exaggerated looking. Uh, everybody's huge. Like uh, everybody's like got muscles on muscles on muscles. Right. It's the 1980s WWF lineup. Yeah, and but you've got the new guys in there as well. Okay. So if you, you know, if you like uh, CM Punk and those guys, they're there to play as well. But I mean, you're the real fun is you know the Honky Tonk Man and Jake the Snake Roberts and all these guys re envisioned. You know. Right. Right. And, and uh, like when you're Roddy Piper, and Roddy Piper had the most boring finisher in the world. It was sleeper hold, you know. But in this one, Piper grabs you and starts swinging you around and breaking your neck while he's giving you the sleeper. Oh. And then finally, he'll just throw you 15 foot into the air once you're asleep, and then you crash down to the mat. Now is Ken you know? Patera in it? No, he nah. isn't. Uh, now, when Roddy gives you the sleeper hold to wake you up, does he hit you in the back between the shoulder blades with a steel chair? Well, I guess that could happen. Oh, this is not very authentic at all. Well, here's the thing, though, all right? Uh, there's DLC for this game already, okay? And maybe they'll, they'll patch it so you can do that. But uh, you get the game, and straight away you get your free Honky Tonk Man DLC, your free Million Dollar Man Teddy Biasi DLC. Okay. Yeah. Baron Mikel Zucluda? No, he's not in there. <sighs> Foiled again. And, uh, and neither, okay, is Tony Gurria. Oh! What, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the New Zealand pack. Yes! Tony Gurria and the Bushwhackers. Yes. Right? Yes. But uh, that's uh. the only drawback. Hmm. How about the unpredictable Johnny Rods? Oh, well, if Johnny Rods was in there, I guess they'd have to include Frank Williams and that guy who drove Vince McMahon's limo. Uh, hey, Johnny Rods is like a <laughs> cat up on those ropes. <laughs> I'm sure he was the um, Barry Horowitz of his day, you know? He, oh, anyway, moving on. Espagaluda 2, you had mentioned that uh, coming out oh, for, yeah. the, for the iPhone and stuff. Well, it came out in HD version uh, for the iPad. 
Now, I'm not going to mention too much about it. This is a gorgeous uh, shooter hell shooter. It's by our buddies at Cave there. The only thing about the iPad version, number one, it's going to be like seven bucks, but it's also going to be confusing in that there's three versions, all called Espagaluda 2. Now, one thing, it's it's only available for the iPad 2. Um, the full version, which is the more expensive one, contains the arcade mode and the smartphone mode, which is further convoluted since the smartphone is on your iPad, which is not a phone. I don't know how smart it is either. And the smartphone version contains awakening pulse system. Whatever that means. I, you know, this is not a very good translation, but <laughs> they both look exactly alike when you start them up. So I don't really know what the differences are. Make sure you read the instructions and get this title because it's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, the game itself is phenomenal. You're uh, flying around, shooting people with big, giant guns and stuff, I seem to remember. Yep. You fly around. <laughs> I know you've played uh, cave shooters to death over the years. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, this one, I think you know whether you're going to like it or not when you look at it. I mean, I remember looking at the, uh, the screenshots for when it came out for the iPod and then waking up essentially on the other side of a purchase. Sure. Just, yeah. You know? You really have to. You really have to. And speaking yeah. of shooters... Although I really haven't played a lot of video games, as I mentioned, I, I have uh, sat on the toilet. So, of course, I play my iPod and iPad, mostly playing read books, it's called, I think, and the other oh, yeah. one called watch movies. But I, uh, before the break, I actually downloaded something. If you're a shooter fan and you don't already own Galaga Galaxia 30th Anniversary Edition Namco thing... Well, then you're a dork. It's called Galaga 30th Collection, and it's fantastic for your iPad, and any true shooter fan is going to love this. Uh, the screen itself is going to be a little bit tucked in from the edges, but that's good because it allows your fingers to not have a hard time moving back and forth. And there's different types of finger modes that you can use on this. Uh, the one that I use is the auto fire. Uh, and what you do is you slide your finger across to move your ship back and forth. Uh, and it auto fires, as the name implies. And then there's also a slide strip below that, which is not, they're, they're not easy to mix up or interfere with one another it's very easy to control and you that's just to, to move back and forth and then when you want to fire you could do the top and there's all different ways that you could do this but that's how i find it to be the easiest to play although you're going to get a low uh, shot percentage like you know the highest i think you could probably get with those auto fires is like 65 percent and it also doesn't allow you to cheat too much with the auto fire like firing like a maniac because you'll have a bullet like a bullet bandolier up top where once you exhaust those bullets fast in a row you have to let it recharge up a little bit or you'll just be firing like dink 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 now this yeah. comes uh, I, I think it might even be free or cheap to get one of the i think galaxian is uh, on there for free but then you have galaxian you have galaga 88 which is my favorite galaga uh, galapius Regular Galaga 30th Anniversary Edition, Galaxian 30th Anniversary Edition. So you get, you can 
buy all these, and I recommend that you buy all of them, because there's such cool achievements in here. There's so many little nuances to this title. It's, if you are a fan of these shooters, these Namco shooters, another Namco game I've been playing, uh, a lot of Namco. If you're a fan of these, you're going to love the extras, and you're going to want to play. You're going to want to try to unlock these achievements. I'm sorry, I'm feeling a little hot. Whew, it's... Uh, Shoes. Why do I keep thinking about shoes and girls? Uh, it, then, but you build up these Galaga points and Galaxian points. and No, I think they're just called Galaga points. But then you can go into these shops and you can buy these like extra power-ups for your ships. And, and you could even power up to like Puka Shot. Uh, which is, you know, that orange guy that you blow up in Dig Dug, and each shot will detonate uh, explosive gas inside enemies and things like this. You could buy the, uh, the 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 dual fighter. You can buy crazy things like the push wave that looks like I don't know what it is. And then, you know, you, you buy all these weird things like the ghost, and you power up your ships. And, oh, you can buy that... Uh, that brown dust that you poop out of your Rally X car. So, you know, it's really neat that you have these 30th anniversary re-graphic steroided up versions of these uh, classic shooters. But then you also have the fun of wanting to keep playing and playing to get these Galaga points and spend them in the item shop. Uh, stinky. What... I get. Excuse me. Take over, stink. Jeez, what's the matter with that guy? Hello. Hey, what's going on? Who is this? Uh, John. Oh, I don't listen to the show anymore. I was just reading my Life magazine over here. That's uh pretty good. It's about this Kodak camera and Michael Jackson thriller. So, uh, what do you play video games now? Uh, sure, yeah. Wiggly was just telling me there about a game that, uh, was on the iPod, which I sadly had to, um, I had that game, but, uh, you know, I had to get rid of it because I had to get the, uh, Amazing Sex Facts app for my iPod. Uh, well, hold the press! What? What is it called? The, the name of the app? Yeah. Amazing Sex Facts. Hold on! I gotta go! Online here and order my iPod. Order. Okay, it's coming. I'm getting it engraved. <laughs> now, what do you do with that thing? Uh, you get told about, um, you get given facts about sex, and, you know, it tells you not to be promiscuous, you know, without protection. <sighs> And uh, it gives you laws, you know, important for a man like yourself, thinking, you know, like uh, in uh, a in Willowdale, Oregon, it is illegal for uh, any man to uh, use some of the swear words while having coitus with his uh, beloved. Whoa! So I, okay, we better talk about games. <laughs> okay. Hubba hubba! Twenty three skidoo. <laughs> If I can inform you on my 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 last uh, game that I've been playing this month, uh, 
It was, uh, you know, one maybe you played yourself. Um, although you don't play video games or listen to the show or anything, but um, I played Limbo. Have you heard of this? Or? Boy, I'll tell you what. I was a Limbo champion, but they disqualified me because I got a wheel, you know, that comes out between my shoulder blades. Well, this is pr- kind of similar, actually, because you're, uh, you're a young boy who has to go rescue his sister or something. And uh, it's a platformer. And you, there's wheels going into backs and saw blades cutting you up and all of this kind of crazy stuff. But it's uh, the game itself is, uh, is a platformer. It's a kind of a puzzle platforming game. Huh. It's it's uh, very, very kind of disturbing in some aspects because it's like... Uh, have you ever seen the movie Razorhead? I figure you would be familiar with a Razorhead nurse thing. A Razorhead? I fell asleep in that one. You fell asleep in it because did you play the baby or? What I don't even understand that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, if th- that kind of a uh, heavy kind of industrial black and white kind of uh, style uh, go, you know, that kind of goes on there, the visual style. Now wait a minute! I thought I'm going under a limbo dance. Now all of a sudden I'm falling asleep in a movie theater with a giant afro. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the that's DLC for Limbo, as far as I know, the the Afro level. Hmm. But uh, if you're uh, you're trying to get your uh, your sister, and you go through all these places, and it's an amazing game because the visuals themselves are uh, astounding. Because you never know if you're inside or outside. We'll be walking through a forest one minute, and then you'll realize there's a roof above you, and uh, all of a sudden you're inside this big kind of a factory setting. You know. Uh, yeah, you're kind of going in and out, and you never quite know where you're going, and these weird kind of worms kind of attack your brain, and there's no real story to it, but it's just all about the the experience of taking in something visually and then interacting with it as a game, and uh, it's a very pure video game experience as a result, but it's unlike anything else I've ever, you know... Uh, it's similar to, you know, flashback in some respects in the way it handles and similar to sort of Heart of Darkness. But I think this game exists to make you feel a certain way mm. while you play it, as opposed to just enjoy interacting with the mechanics of the game itself. It sounds like a freak out. Now, where do you go to play this? Uh, the Internet. If you go to the Internet where you got your uh, your iPod, Go to an Xbox with an internet and then download it uh, through the, I, the the Xbox store or your your PS3. My my computer stuck. Yeesh. You don't use your Mac for it. Hold on a minute. I I typed in Limbo in the wrong place, and uh, Wiggly already has it on his Mac. How you like that? Well, get to it then. Yeah. Oh, stinky! What? What? What did you put on that toast, Stink? I I put Grey Poupon on it. Stink! We don't have any Grey Poupon. I went downstairs, and it was gray, all right. But it was fuzzy gray in their stink. I don't know. What's Grey Poupon supposed to be like? I, I, it's a mustard. 
This was 1971 Welch's Grape Jelly Stink. Well, how am I supposed to know? Well, you read the label! Now I'm flipping out over here! That's why I gave it to you, I didn't like it! Great, it's the first show back and now I'm eating belly lint for, with bubonic plague on it! Alright, John, what, what other game you have? Well, that was kind of it. Oh, Jesus. The limbo. Limbo? Yeah. I'm always up for a good limbo. Well, I can't beat Stink, though. Stink, it's, 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 limbo is a game for your, um, well, for your Mac, apparently, but uh, for your yeah. um, for your Xbox and all that. You're, what are you, limbo under an uh, Xbox across the, the poles? What do you mean? But you're a boy, you're a little boy, and uh, you're you're trying to find your sister, and you're in limbo, Okay. and you die a lot, and you float across lakes on the bodies of suicidal children. So it's like uh, a role-playing version of the go under the limbo. All right, well, stick around for the council. See if I can get rid of some of this. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, you know, we call it the bubons. All right, uh, hold on. Whew. Johnny Capcom, uh... Let's uh, let's get two by R on, and then we're going to do the council. The Valley Village of Sherman Oaks. Two by R. Two by R. What's going on, man? Hello. Thank you for contacting the West Coast branch of Arkham Asylum. Unfortunately, Batman is not able to come to the phone right now. Please leave your name and number at the beep, and he'll return your call as soon as possible. Beep. The Batman. You mean the Batman? Tupayar, I think you've been playing too much of the Batman. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Everybody's playing the Batman and the Battlefield 3 and uh, uh, the video games, they call them. I can at least put your mind at ease. There's no Battlefield 3 going on in this household. If for no other reason than that, I think I spent 14 hours straight after the release playing uh, Arkham City. It's that good. It is one of those rare games that actually does live up to the hype. I know that that's something that a lot of people are saying, but the reason a lot of people are saying it is that it's that good. Uh, I think I'm about six hours into the first one, so I might want to try to finish that up first. Yeah, the uh, the story is, is definitely uh, continuous. And uh, some, a wor- another word to the wise, uh, DC published a series of five comic books bridging the storylines between the end of Part 1 and the beginning of Part 2. And if this is anything about the quality of the game, even the tie-in comic books were good. I mean, how often does that happen <laughs> with a video game? Uh, not since Atari Force, I think. Yeah, I think Yars Revenge was the last one that was in a good. That was great. <laughs> All right, man. Well, besides the Batman, uh, what else have you been knocking around? What I have been playing a lot of, other than the game that everybody's playing, is God of War Origins. For those of you that haven't been keeping score at home, God of War Origins is the uh, the, the two PSP games uh, for God of War that were released, uh, redone in a full HD treatment. The videos have been re-recorded so that they look nice. Uh, the, gra- the polygon count of all the, of all the objects in the game has been increased. The textures have been redone to high res. The game looks beautiful. And of course, you do all the uh, the duties, you get your extra bonus points. 
Exactly. Uh, as as is true of all the God of War games, you basically are an, an angry Spartan who hates everyone for no apparently good reason, and so proceeds to spend the entire game running around, solving rudimentary puzzles, and uh, just basically eviscerating anything that you come across. Now, how is this presented to you, like from this from the selection screen? When you first uh, slot the disc, you're given a choice of uh, playing either uh, the first game, which is Chains of Olympus, or the second game, which is Ghost of Sparta. Once you uh, select that, it drops you completely into that game. Under the video section, there's also a round table uh, that was done with the producers of the game, apparently at one of the Comic Cons, just sort of talking about what all went into the development. And if you're a really, really hardcore fan and or have nothing better to do for an hour, then you can watch that. The games themselves have been uh, given a total HD facelift. The polygons of all the objects have been increased. The textures have been redone. They look absolutely beautiful. But there was a four-year window of development between the first game and the second game, Uh and... It kind of shows. To their credit, the developers are aware of this, and they try to have as much fun with it as they can. Uh, For instance, the the trophy that you get for completing the first game is called dot, 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 it's over already? (laughs) If you are somebody who has experience with the uh, Kratos saga, that first game is probably not going to be that much of a challenge. I think I got through it in four hours. Yeah, you know, it was really amazing when it came out on the PSP. Definitely one of the showcases, but like you said, a lot of people even then, when it came out, complained that it was too short. Well, I think the thing that everybody is forgetting is that it was a it was a game that was one of the pinnacles of the P- the PSP. Mm-hmm. But the PSP, you know, by its nature, is a more limited development environment, so a game that was the best that the PSP had to offer would still be, uh, you know, fairly rudimentary compared to uh, most other games on the PS3 that would, you know, that were built from the ground up with that hardware in mind. Right on. With that said, the second game, uh, Ghost of Sparta, looks absolutely gorgeous it looks as good if not better than the uh, god of war one and two collection that came out just before god of war three did mm-hmm. they've really really taken advantage of what you can do on the ps3 and the game design you know that game was designed after god of war three was already out and so there's some nuanced development that goes on between each iteration of the series as the developers get more and more comfortable with what they're doing. And the difference in polish and the difference in narrative and the difference in presentation between the first game and the second game is really, really dramatically on display here. It's $40 for two games, new. You can probably pick it up used for about 25 or 30 If you have not played the games before on the PSP and you're a Kratos fan at all, you really owe it to yourself. Right on. Stick around for the council! I'll be there. All right. So great to be back. Back and be poisoned and be back in the studio. We talk games. A new season. In fact, let us get together the council of video game quazillionaires. A little mini mega council, if you will. And do what we like to do, and that's talk games. Open it up, Keith. Bring the council on. All right. Oh, am I peeking? No. All right, Council, uh, let's see, is, is the entire giant, mega, multi-tiny Council online? Let's find out. Kyle Von Kubik. Here. You will be known as New York. Sure. New York. I'm writing that it. down. You got it. Uh, let's see. Uh, the other fella that uh, was on the first episode with me, John C- Capcom. 
Yes, yes. You'll be heretofore referred to as Shayla O'Lancy. Okay. Shayla? Is that real? <laughs> it's not anything. Go okay. Ahead. And is, is O'Lancy, is that is that Scottish or would that be Irish? It's not real. It's not. Okay, very good. You'll be referred to as Galway. Okay. How about that? I call me whatever you want. Okay, Galway, O'Lancy. And, of course, let's see here. We have West Coast on here. This is the West, East, North Ireland Coast Connection. Or are you, where are you, North Ireland? Me? Yeah. I'm in Western Ireland. Okay. This is the North, East, West. Wait. This is the West. Oh, fuck. This is the West, East, West Ireland Connection. So, 2 pi R, are you there? Are you back? Present and accounted for. Very call me good. whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner. You will be called Sherman Helmsley. Fantastic. Okay, I'm writing that down. And, of course, we need the, the Mid-Coast represented Ohio, Eric Alexander, EA. Are you there? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's close enough. All right, well, hopefully Eric will uh, join us mid-council and we'll make up some other topic that he can be just as confused about. Today's topic will be, where is our future of gaming? Or, where is the future of gaming? I didn't really put any type of punctuation on this. I let it very open-ended as to what you might make of that. My council before me here today. But here's how it's going to work. I will... Ask the question, where is our future of gaming? Then I will give the entire answer and explore every avenue within that answer. And then you will be free to speak after I've already explained everything. Wow. I thought that would work well. Yeah, what a privilege. Well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, so let us begin. Uh, Winston, do I have a voice? I do believe I am in voice. Wait, hold on. <gasps> me, 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 me. Yes. Boy, that stuff stinks. That is that is oral relief from Walgreens that must be at least eight or nine years old. That's lovely on top of the fuzz that stinky fed me earlier. Here we are in the year is 2011. Now, I usually don't like to date these episodes in case people find these in a time capsule and think they're, they just came out yesterday. But we are in 2011. Now, keep in mind that the Xbox 360 was debuted in 2005, came out 2005, big, big success. The Wii and the PS3 followed in 2006. If we look at handheld gaming, the Nintendo DS came out in 2004. So these uh, consoles and handhelds in the realm of video gaming usualties, I think that's a word, usualties, these are getting long in the tooth. They've really stuck around a long time. And even this holiday season coming up, you know, I know, we all know, some families are just getting the Wii or the Xbox or maybe even the PS3, even though that's kind of died down a little bit since the big surge after the price drop, and then it wasn't, and then it did. But uh, these gimmicks here are going to still be finding new homes. Now, usually, by this time, we'd be on to our next generation consoles. And then, even still, like if we look at the PS2, that went up and up and up, even though the PS3 was already out. PS2 was a you know huge seller. Same thing that happened with the PlayStation 1. Even though the PlayStation 2 came out, new homes were still getting the PlayStation 1. That was getting a broader user base as games started to die down. But we're, we're really long in the tooth with these systems. That may be for a few reasons. Uh, we might be reaching a technological stage where 
hey, this stuff doesn't look half bad. I mean, if we go back and look at the Super Nintendo, that was okay, but we really couldn't do too much 3D. They started throwing some extra chips in there. You got your 3D FX chip in there, and uh, you know that did that. Star Fox made it in a little smaller postage stamp inside your regular TV screen. And then when you know we came out with the PlayStation One, the Saturn, then we and then N64, we started pushing polygons around. That looked amazing to Shinden. You can't even look at that now. Some of the early sports games that blew your mind. It looks so real. You go back and yeah, it looks like a real triangle running around. And laugh, laugh, laugh. And then. Uh then we came out with the PS2, and that was more powerful. And then we, we got the, the Dreamcast and the Xbox One. And then we started getting a little bit more refined polygons, but still not that great. Now we're in this generation of consoles, and they don't look half bad. You can, you can do uh, pretty good with them. So maybe that's petering out because of the technological advances. But uh, let's also look at, uh, look at our handheld gamings. And I'm wanna, I want to go to handheld gamings, but we'll go to that in a second half of this. Based upon that, why do you think we're still on the Xbox 360, the PS3, and especially the Wii? Sherman Helmsley. There's a couple of factors to consider here. Um, with the PS3 and the 360, uh, the reason we're still there is because this is pretty much the first time in the history of the development of consoles where at this point in the life cycle of the console, we still have not seen a single example of a game that tr- truly uh, saturates the potential of the hardware. Developers describe the, the PS3 as a black hole. No matter what they throw at it, they cannot find the limits of its graphics processing. They cannot find the limits of how many enemies you can have on screen at the same time. Frankly, the fact that there are games that have frame rates as bad as they are is just a testament to how much commitment some developers are not willing to make to understand the hardware. This really is unusual. Most consoles, by about the two or three year point, the developers have maxed out everything that they can do and are now starting to teach each other tricks to overcome the inherent limitations of the hardware. We haven't hit that point yet with the 360 or, or the PS3, and I think that these may very well be the first consoles to have their successors in stores before their life cycle has reached its natural point of conclusion. The other thing to consider with these two consoles is that these consoles have online marketplaces that are devoted to them. Any other console prior to this at any point in history the only way to keep getting new games into it was for people to keep manufacturing physical media, be it a cartridge or a disc or whatever. And once you got to a certain point where the next generation of consoles was out, it didn't make sense to keep developing for the previous hardware. The fact that an entire video game can be created in software and downloaded through a purely online interface really changes the market for that and really creates even less reason until you saturate the hardware to get new hardware into your living room. Mm-hmm. Shayla O'Lancy? It's an odd thing, okay, but uh, the more I think about it, like the way graphics in particular, they usually promote sales of new systems and stuff. You know, back in the bit days, like you were saying, where... You know, it was all about um, who could do Mode 7 or who could blast processor or who could mm. do whatever, okay? When you look at, say, the difference between uh, a game that came out a few weeks ago, so, so Batman Arkham City, versus, say, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the first one, both on the same system. The graphic jump is huge. 
on the same platform, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have gotten a graphical leap forward, almost uh, almost comparable to a generational jump forward, but it's still in the same system. And uh, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining when you know, like you're getting that kind of visual payoff, but you don't have to spend three, four hundred quid on a new machine, you know. Yeah, I would not want to spend squids. I don't have any squids to pay for. Well, if you were in Europe or Japan, you'd have to. Right? It's just the way it is. <laughs> but uh, that's just, you know, it's just uh, yeah. the you know. Now, is it comparatively expensive to the previous generations? I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the numbers are. Was $200 back for the Super Nintendo equivalent to the $600 that some of these systems started at? Started to say, really. Or did these start at six hundred? Did they start at four hundred? What, what was the high end of these? Well, the Neo Geo back in the day, <laughs> that was like two fifty, right? No, that was big. Yeah, I, I thought it was like six hundred all said and done because oh, I thought sorry, it was sorry, sorry. four four hundred for the system and the game was two hundred. So yeah, yeah. I know. I think game consoles now are relatively um, cheap. I guess uh, for what you're getting. When the PS3, the slim version came out, that was retailing here. And I think about 320. Yeah, I remember back in the day, like people, if you are buying a Super Nintendo or whatever for 250, maybe. I mean, the, what you're getting out of both, there's different, obviously, but but the rates haven't jumped that high. If the PlayStation 3 was around back then, it would have been, I guess, a Neo Geo with a Laserdisc thing on the or something, you yeah. know. But still, the, the combined. And it have um, I don't know you probably sent faxes through it or something that'd be the online. We did have that with the Laser Active that had uh, could do the Genesis or the uh, Turbo Graphics. So and that was incredibly expensive uh, back in the day. If you got all the adapters, it would cost you well over like uh, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars if you had the karaoke adapter as well. Escape from New York. Any uh, comments so far? Sure. I mean, I definitely agree uh, with our Steam panel that the technology has come to a point where it just looks so good. How good can it get? And I'm sure it will, because uh, uh, you know, every time another system comes out or a new game comes out, we're amazed by uh, how great it looks. Perfect example being Arkham City versus Arkham Asylum. Uh, but technology aside, I think another piece to this puzzle. Well, I agree with the technology. Another piece of this puzzle is uh, the history of gaming and um, what games are today and what they were. You know, back when we were dealing with the Master System and the Nintendo, everything was uh, a focus on being arcade perfect because at the Mm. time, video games looked better in the arcade. And then the home console market kind of expanded and dominated. And then it was who had uh, better graphics. And and yes, there was this race toward who had the best-looking images or visuals with their system. But now it's uh, games are more than just that race. Games are all around us, and they've filtered into all these different types of electronic mediums. I mean, whether it's an iOS or a mobile device or, you know, being able to play Peggle or Bejeweled on your cable box. Games have really saturated the market, and they're in all these different places, and they're in places where it's something that was not conceived of, you know, 10 years ago. Like, even with a a social network thing, like 
uh, Foursquare or geocaching. These are little games, you know, checking in this place and winning medallions and awards and getting achievements. Mm. The idea of what a video game is now has widened in its scope so that, yes, there are things like an Uncharted or an Arkham City where it blows you away visually. But then there's other things like, uh, you know, a Super Meat Boy that touches on the nostalgia or a Foursquare that's an activity you can do in the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, There's experimental things with augmented reality happening now where the board game is becoming more of a video game. I think electronic medium and video games have um, spread out and their tentacles are very far reaching now so that what we conceive of a next gen is not what we conceive next gen was 10 years ago or especially 20 years ago. It's not as cut and dry as it was where we went from Nintendo to Super Nintendo to Nintendo 64 to GameCube. It doesn't work that way anymore because it's not that cut and dry. I thought about this a little bit today. Another piece that needs to be considered in all this is what type of developers and franchises will suffer because of this. You know, I was thinking about there's been a little bit of a debacle with the recent Final Fantasy game that came out because it's an online, you know, multiplayer RPG and evidently they pushed it to release too soon and when it was released it was pretty much unplayable. I feel that a franchise like that has suffered greatly because of this loss of things being so cut and dry. Another thing to consider 10 years ago was there was a big gap between console gaming and computer gaming. And now there's pretty much this just crossover where you have people playing their Call of Duties on their Xboxes or they're playing their Call of Duties on their PC. And any big budget title now can be purchased on Steam, and even the little guys, like your Super Meat Boy, like your Bit Trip, can be purchased to be played on the PC. Again, the, it's being blended that there's no definitive line in the sand as, as where, you know, what is video games anymore. And I think that that's why it's not as intuitive as it used to be, uh, or again, I say cut and dry, where it was a very um, lateral type of build towards this next generation of video gaming. You touched on a couple things in here that uh, uh, that I was just jotting down notes for as well. But as you mentioned, you know, initially our systems were, and everyone sort of touched on this, graphic, graphics, graphics. Okay, the Turbo Graphics does 32 pixels, and this can do 16 pixels, but it can do 32 by 16, but this one can only do 16 by 16, although it could put more pixels on screen and move them around. Now the Neo Geo can take the pixels and, and, and scale and rotate it, where the other things have to only do the background, can scale and rotate and all this other business and as john brought up blast processing and other made-up uh, lingo to describe their their graphic powers but we we also had that at the beginning of the ps3 360 race with yes. oh this is going to be better graphics that's going to be better graphics and you know we certainly had it with uh, with the earlier systems as well well saturn could do better 2d and the playstation can't do 2d but it does better you know 3d but we we did see that at the beginning of this uh, you know uh, 2006 i guess we were still weaning off of that way of thinking I don't think people think of that anymore, that this system can do this graphic better. They look for, well, if I get it on this system, they give me a free pair of underwear as DLC content, or if I get it on there, I get a a boomerang. I think that that sort of replaced it, and as you said, uh, you know, uh, trophies and, uh, and and achievements and medals and medallions and all these other type of little unlockable Easter eggs uh, really make uh, playing just about any type of game uh, appealing. 
And you sort of touched on this a little bit of, of the blurring of, of genres and even technologies. Did the retro resurgence have any effect on these systems staying around longer? Because now we're now we're not just our eyes getting used to better and better John Madden graphics and the helmets reflecting, you know, light in a stadium or some snow. Now our eyes are getting used to everything. 8-bit again, we like 8-bit and we like 16-bit. We like the mm-hmm. melding of all of them. So do you think maybe retro had anything to do with it or it's just the technology isn't ready to change it? Well, I think retro did have a piece of it, but I think that the the whole resurgence of Retro was because all of us uh, within this council were all old men in comparison to some of the people playing your everyday, you know, FPS. Yeah. Um, and we, as we got older and as our generations filtered into the video game industry, we want to harken back. I've talked about this a couple times on the show where I think we look back at that era of gaming and say, wow, that was so imaginative. That was so creative. That's what games were. And, you know, I find today when I'm looking at a shelf of games, especially for me, there's a big blur as far as what's the difference between this action game and that action game? You know, unless they really jump out at me or somebody's really, you know, uh, carried the cause for a certain game like an Uncharted where it's like, no, you need to play this game. It's more than just an action game. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's a it's an action game, but it's a very enjoyable one. They don't speak to me as much as something like, you know, these smaller games that you find uh with the PSN or the uh, you know Xbox Live Arcade or whatever it may be, whatever download service you're using, but that's for us. I mean, I think generations below us who are playing console gaming and PC gaming now, yeah, maybe they'll dabble here and there with like Explosion Man or a Joe Danger, but I don't think it, it rings or hits the same notes that our generations and the generations older than us uh, who are still active gamers. They value that very much. So, and it, maybe that's it. Maybe it's because of our generation growing up with the Amigas, the Ataris, and you know the early days of Nintendo. That now there's this bigger idea of what a video game can be. Whereas in the moment of the '90s, particularly, the business of video games was strictly pushing the technology to its limits. Now it's look how much we can do with this technology. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find that the retro resurgence brought about was that it kind of reminded us of the craft of video games if you know what Definitely. I mean yeah. we, we, like, it seemed like people were reaching for photorealism and you know all that kind of stuff but like then it was like oh no no, no this is what it was This, you know it's these pixels and all these awesome little bleeps and bloops you know that's I don't know I just think that's I think that kind of reconnected the industry at large probably with its you know its real kind of artistic heritage yeah, and I, I hope that this show, I, I'm pretty sure if you go back and ch- check timestamps, I think this show got it before a lot of the mainstream shows or even our contemporaries got it, where everyone was saying, oh, it's you know retro, it's a gimmick, it's gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. And we we're like, no, it's because that is fun to play. Right. I mean, I listed Joe Danger and Explosion Man, and those are two great examples of these aren't games that have been rehashed um, from a previous franchise like like, um, Pac-Man Championship Edition. These were games that were created as new franchises, but 
took the the lessons of the past and developed something new. So th- yes, they do feel very arcadey, but they also feel fun and fresh. They don't feel retro, even though their roots are are definitely embedded deep into what games were. Now, Sherman Helmsley, does this broad, vast spread of genre and types of video gamers make creating focus groups impossible? (laughs) It just requires that the focus groups get even more splintered. You look at the evolution of video games, you know, everybody talks about the 80s as being this golden age where everything was more creative. It was less that things were more creative and more that because the technology was limited, you had to use the gameplay mechanics, which had to be very simplified, and you had to use the thematics that advised your graphics as your point of differentiation because there was nothing else. Mm-hmm. As, the, as the capability of the machines improved, that's when we started to sort of see the genres develop. So, you know, you'd walk into an arcade in the 80s, and you would see a little piece of pie running around eating dots, and you would see people throwing their heads at each other to try to get points, and you would see a guy using a rope to try to climb a ravine. And then you go into an arcade in the 90s, you start seeing the row of driving games, the row of fighting games, Mm -hmm. the row of climbing games, and so on and so forth. Um, I think really what the retro movement is doing, more than anything, is it's getting back to a place where you're not allowing the genre of the game to define it anymore. And that's really something that you can only do at a downloadable level, because it's getting to the point now... You know, the, the, the development budget for Uncharted 3 uh, was bigger than the development budget for a lot of the movies that came out last year. It's getting to the point now where the, tr- the AAA titles have to deliver. They have to perform. They are what's going to fund all the small little t- you know, budget titles that a studio is going to put out for the next year. So where a developer wants to uh, try to create something that doesn't fall into one of these five or six very stratified genres, where they want to try to create something that doesn't plug directly into a franchise that has built an audience of 25 million people, the, the downloadable retro stuff is really the only place where they can play with that. And you know, the, the original question was, is the retro movement keeping the, 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 the hardware frozen? I think it's more of a network effect of the fact that the hardware is frozen. You can't really have a retro indie downloadable community if you have two dozen different platforms that any given indie indie release has to support. With the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 and the Wii being sort of the main go-to platforms with an online marketplace, it helps keep the development costs down because you don't have to port your code with many different platforms. To the extent that this stuff is going to uh, delay the onset of the next generation of the technology, I think it's more about a small title not having the resources to go learn yet another layer of programming just so they can get another thousand downloads at 10 bucks a pop. Mm -hmm. Well put. And by the way, I'm, I was a big arcade climbing game fan, as well as the, <laughs> the Haymaker games. Those were all my other favorite games. I know that's a favorite of Kyle Von Cubics. Kyle, you also brought up the fact that you know you have your iOS, and that's that's a whole other area to explore. And that's sort of what brought about this council topic is the release of the 3DS. Mm. And when the 3DS uh, was released and still is released, it's just not really... Hitting in any traction, yeah, 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 and no. you know, I mean, a lot of that I'm sure has to do with the economy, uh, you know, uh, but 
I have a feeling that it's because it's it's because of the economy, but it doesn't really have to do with the lack of expendable income because we're definitely expending that. It's just I think that we might be expending it on the things we already own instead of taking the next step up to um, a new Nintendo DS, even though it's 3D. Now, sure. a, a lot of this, of course, there's, there's no one thing that's making it not do as uh, well as Nintendo thought it would. And I think I mentioned, you know, Nintendo DS came out in 2004. Since then, we've had the Lite, the DSi, the DSi XL. and That's the problem. You know, you, you have all these listed, versions of... listed the problem, the biggest problem with yeah. that console is that they oversaturated themselves and the original ds and then the ds Lite was a good progression but when you started coming out with the dsi and then the dsi xl and then in the 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 shadows you knew Mm -hmm. that you were going to be coming out with this 3d console it was probably better to just hold off and release that but you've oversaturated yourself and i think that going back to what i kind of touched on and i do think it's interesting but if you know if you don't want to go into this realm because talk about a can of worms this is definitely one of them is that certain things certain companies uh certain developers certain franchises have really suffered and because they've they've struggled to evolve in this new era of what video games are I listed Final Fantasy as an example of this. I think Nintendo has a, a problem with this as well, is that they don't... And for many years, they struggled with evolving with the times, and now it's hurting them because, yes, they were very successful with the Wii, and they made a lot of money, uh, but they've made some poor choices, in my opinion, since then, and I think that it's hurt them and their franchises. Perfect example, uh, Mario Galaxy 2... It's a very mm. fun and enjoyable game, but there's not a Mario game that's going to come out in the next decade that's going to have the same fanfare as Mario 3 did, as Mario 64 did, because it's a different era uh, of, of video games. You know, th- There's no way that those type of franchises are going to get the media attention that they once did because it's not that time anymore. And yes, those are very successful franchises for them, mm-hmm. and they always go back to them, but they're never going to be... The, the pinnacle of what video games are and they need to come to terms with that and start making better decisions you know there was a time when ad- ad- adults in quotation marks would consider anything that was pixels moving on a screen to be a Nintendo tape playing <laughs> you know they, uh, sure. they, they there was such a there was such a domination uh, by that company at one point and I think that they've they've lost it and they could have kept with it but they've they've fought so hard against moving with the times and then with the ds it seemed like this is what we have to do because a lot of people say this that nintendo likes to mirror themselves uh, off of apple and they kept coming out with these new devices but they're not apple so you can't come out with five variations of a ds Hmm. and expect all five variations to be successful you're gonna hurt the brand and i truly believe they hurt the brand because game boy never suffered as much as this 3ds did Mm -hmm. because they paced it out it was very calculating and i don't think that company has been the same since and only because I'm a huge mark for this gentleman, but I don't think that company has been the same since Gunpoi Yokoi left. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. uh, his knowledge and his leadership is definitely uh, something that's lacking at Nintendo. I'm not just singling Nintendo out. Uh, Square Enix is another example where they've struggled 
to bring Final Fantasy back to the glory days of what it was for, you know, for one and for two U.S. and three U.S. and seven, because it got to the point where, okay, you made it look really good, but is it fun? Mm -hmm. And I think they lost that, and that's a shame. But on the other side of the coin, it, because of this uh, this widening scope of, of uh, what video games are, a lot of smaller guys are able to, yes, get their foot in the door and, as Rich said, go back to the idea of what it was when um, necessity was the mother of invention and the limitations of technology forced you to be more creative. And that's a good thing. But I think some of the older dinosaurs need to move out of the way and make room for some of these up-and-comer guys, or at least learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, Nintendo in particular yeah. is in a, a very interesting spot right now because they're really the only one of the major companies whose best-known franchises don't depend on bigger, better, faster now in terms of graphics and sound. Right. You know, think think about Nintendo. You think of Zelda. You think of Metroid. You think of Mario. These are all very sort of abstracted, fantastical creations that exist largely in their own worlds. And those worlds, until the last generation or two, were very pixelated. Compare that to something like a Gears of War or a Halo or an Uncharted or a uh, Resistance, The Fall of Man. All of these are franchises that are directly as much about the look and the sound and the presentation as they are about the gameplay. And that, you know, that's part of why I think the, the Wii was so comparatively underpowered compared to the other two consoles of its generation. You know, Nintendo is trying very hard to rest on the laurels of its uh, intellectual property rather than on the power of its technology. And I think the big mistake that they made with the 3DS and with you know the the Wii University that's been uh, that's been touted as the next generation of the Wii, they're they're so convinced in the bulletproof commercial viability of their intellectual property that they're only looking at the capabilities of the hardware. You know, I think the number one thing holding the 3DS back right now is the fact that basically its entire library is just iterations of games that we've already played, except now we can play them portably in 3D. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that. The video game market is now opening to a point where there are things that are only now happening that you know might have made more sense 20 or 25 years ago via the retro movement, but because the network effects weren't in place, uh, were impossible. And in that environment, it, as long as Nintendo keeps trying to leverage exclusively its well-known properties, there's, I don't really think it's got any way to succeed. Honestly, who wants to play Urban Champion in 3D? <laughs> I do. Imagine falling down that hole in 3D. You'd really feel like you're in that hole. That's the thing, though, right? When that when I saw the the 3DS, I, I was just like, okay, this is secondhand design. You know, <laughs> I mean, like I've seen this clam shell, you know, uh, yeah, thing before. And uh, the difference for me was when I saw the the place the, the PS Vita, which is a terrible name. Um, PSP to? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the when I saw that, I was just like, "Oh, this is new," you know. And it is new. I mean, it's going to be a money pit mm. because you're essentially carrying around a HD TV in your pocket with two touch screens and two analog sticks, and I don't know a house. But <laughs> it's uh, still it's new, you know. And you know, uh, I, I'll get one in about five years when the battery life is not out sorted. 
you were saying, Carl, I don't know why it doesn't work for Nintendo when like the same thing. I mean, uh, Apple would roll out uh, the iPad 2 and it's like, oh, it's got an extra camera on it, or I don't know, it comes with a packet of cheese or something. And people are like, oh, God, I gotta camp out and get this first, mm. you know? Essentially the same thing. And uh, it just doesn't work for Nintendo. It's just, just the way it is. I think you touched on it just a little bit there with what you said with the Vita, which was you're going to wait five years for a better battery life. I think that's actually what hurt Nintendo a lot, was that a lot of people who were the early adopters of the original DS felt burned when they got the DS Lite. And then people who got the DS Lite later on in its lifespan felt burned when there was a DSi. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's like there's too much of this buyer's regret with this hardware. Mm-hmm. Where something like, an, you know, if you got an original iPhone, it might run like crap, but it still works. And it still is going to do what you need it to do. And um, if you got yourself an iPad and then you saw the iPad 2 and you sold the iPad 1 <laughs> to your friend... <laughs> <laughs> At least the friend who bought the first iPad that you had still functions and has all the functionalities sans the cameras, but it's still a very usable device. Whereas, you know, I've got this original DS. It's a brick. I can't fit it in my pocket. It's got poor battery life. looks like crap. Uh, the buttons feel bad. And then my buddy has a DS Lite, and man, that looks a lot sleeker and that's nicer. I mean, <clears throat> you know, the, the difference between an iPhone and an iPhone 4S, there's going to be comparative differences but in at the end of the day the functionality is still there i think that yes the functionality between all those variations of the ds were still there people just kept feeling burned because mm-hmm. it's like i just spent 250 dollars i have to pay another 250 dollars for this thing i can see the comparisons but i think in that respect those Two different devices of an iPad or an iPod Touch and then a handheld gaming device. There's too big a gap there. With the PlayStation Vita, I think that's a device that's, again, trying to blur that gap between that media entertainment device and then a strictly gaming device. Which, you know, unknowingly, that's what Apple kind of fell into with their iDevices, which... Mm. They were going to be devices to play music. Uh, it's a good phone. And yeah, it has a little bit of games. But holy crap, it's got a lot of games now because yeah. now it's kind of become a full-fledged gaming device. The constitution of these games is mixed, but it's there and it's very prevalent and it really can't be ignored. Oh, no. No, definitely. And that that's what uh, this, this whole thing was sort of leading to. Uh, first of all, I'm not so sure the Nintendo DS is just stagnating on its own. Well, number one, you really have to play it to appreciate the 3D. Uh, My friend has, and she loves it. You know, she loves playing Zelda, even though we've all played it before. Uh, How hardcore of a gamer is she? Well, she four squared that she was picking up her Battlefield 3, you know, so she's uh, she's first-person shooter type of genre as well as uh, liking the Nintendo 3DS. But I'm not sure. Will this PSP to come out and still not do as good as Sony thought? I think right now you have this iPad, the iPhone, the iPod. I think these are on people's Xmas lists right now if they don't already have some type of version of these uh, pocket devices and like you said they were built for music they're not the greatest gaming engines people are doing some amazing things with them 
that even Apple probably never dreamed could happen. But it has changed the way we game, and we speak about this, uh, you know, a lot as well. Yeah. It has become, you know, a downloadable, interchangeable color game and watch. Mm. But even more than you mentioned that uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it uh, about it becoming a, a full fledged gaming system, but it's really something just a little different, I think, and not just to play into the think different, but I think that it's okay. Yeah, it is a gaming. It's not really like the handheld gaming we were used to before. But it is something different. It is something new, although it's always existed. But it gives us a different type of sensation. Like I mentioned, I've been playing pinball <laughs> and uh, just my iPad uh, every now and again on the toilet since the last time. And I don't miss my consoles. I don't miss any of those other things. I don't feel like I missed out on anything. So what is that saying? It's how much pocket device playing versus console gaming do each of you have? Uh, Sherman Helmsley. Well, I'm probably a special case because I just broke my arm, which makes it very difficult to hold a console controller. But even before that, I originally bought the iPad because I was planning to go to New Orleans, mm-hmm. and I wanted a device that would allow me to access my uh, my email and do some basic web browsing without having to haul the whole laptop with me. Probably inside of two weeks of owning the thing, I think I was playing more games on that than on all other gaming-capable devices in my arsenal, which is fairly expansive, combined. Mm. Um, and I think we're kind of getting to a point now where, where gaming and media are, are blurring in terms of how how we think about them. I mean, you know, the, the, the reason that the development budget for Uncharted 3 was as big as it was was because they had A-list voice acting and A-list special effects production separate from all the programming that went into the game engine. Then you look at something like Infinity Blade, which is a game that was originally developed for the iPhone that got reskinned for the iPad that is now the, they're working... Uh, and in conjunction with the Dave and Buster's franchise to build an arcade capable version of this game uh, that plays on a 46 inch touchscreen uh, that will show up in arcades. So, you know, we're getting to the point where there's such a convergence between the various ways in which we game that I don't think the drawing a distinction between them is anywhere near as, as useful as it used to be. I think this is also part of why Sony is heavily promoting the media capabilities of the, the PSP mm-hmm. to, to point out that that's their point of differentiation from Nintendo. You know, the DS is just a gaming device. The PSP can play games and play music and play movies and surf the web and get your streaming Pandora and all this other stuff. And so then the question becomes, well, really, what's the difference between that and an iPad? An iPad has a bigger screen and a PSP that has integrated controls specifically designed for gaming. And that's really about it. I think we're getting to a point where, you know, not tomorrow, but easily within the next 10 years, the hardware is going to cease to matter. Already, if you have an Apple TV, you can take the output of your iPad. If you have iOS 5, any program on the iPad and Mm -hmm. throw it up using the Apple TV as a bridge on your big screen TV. You know, once it starts playing games that are approaching the complexity of a console, as evidenced by the fact that Infinity Blade is now going in to show up in arcades, and you can play them on your television, what's the real difference between that and a PlayStation? Right. Shalo Lancey, iOS versus console gaming. At the moment, I'm playing all console games. I haven't okay. played a handheld 
thing in a while. Last time I broke out my iPod was to play Magnetic Billiards, which I'd recommend playing because it's great. I don't know when I'm outside now. I uh, I tend to just listen to music or podcasts or something. I'm not really bothered with playing uh, games, and I use my iPod my iPod Touch really to watch movies more than anything. Okay. I'm usually quite busy and away from the house a lot, so when I come home, I just relax and start playing some some Xbox, basically. Okay, very good. Well, that that's for gaming. So, but that's that's the other thing about these uh, the iOS, I think, too, because I'm I am probably doing more uh, things that aren't gaming related on them, like reading books or watching movies and things like that. Than I am uh, playing games, although I do I do play games on there from time to time. Uh, that's that's another split in the time, but definitely I have uh, that thing in my hand more often than I have a control in my hand. Of late, hope to get more back into console gaming. How about you, there, uh, New York? Uh, as of recently, I don't have a lot of time to right. play games. Sure, but when I am playing games, it's probably. A 60-40 split, uh, 60 being on the iDevice and 40 being on the PlayStation. I use my PlayStation a lot as a media server right. for like Netflix or watching a Blu-ray or something like that. With the iPad, I'm playing you know little smaller games, but yeah, I'm doing a lot of the reading too. I'm doing a lot of reading comic books. Uh, mm-hmm. it, the device actually got me back or maybe sparked an interest in reading comic books again that I hadn't had since I was about 10. So, yeah, I, I would say that it's probably a 60-40 split in favor of the iDevice. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I still have my Nintendo DS, and, you know, I want to play it. I, I just picked up uh, Professor Layden for Kimberly, my fiance, and she's been playing a lot of that. But I bought myself a, a brand-new copy of Chrono Trigger just to go, go back and play that. And um, unfortunately, it's still in its cellophane. It's about four weeks now <laughs> that I've had this thing. So, yeah, most of my gaming is, is done either on the iPad or on uh, my PlayStation 3. I think that we can see, though, that a lot of folks, although they may go home, uh, like I, I run into this at work, some fellows that really don't know very much about gaming. Some of them are younger than me. Some of them are older than me. Uh, not not many are older than me, but uh, you know they they talk about oh I sniped like this 70, guy. Right? Yeah, I know I sniped this guy I sniped this guy and I I wouldn't peg them for any type of gamers and I'm not sure exactly what game they're playing or what console it is I know the one guy only has a Wii and the other guy has is like a PC guy so I don't know what they're really playing this on but they they talk about snipers and they talk about uh, you know I blow them up and curse 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 and la la la. But they also have iPhones, and the one guy has an iPad, and you know they're playing that just as much as they're uh, sniping and, and 3Ding each other. It's definitely made an impact, a huge impact. I think uh, uh, took all the companies by surprise. But we've seen it before. You know, make no make no doubt about it. Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo—they all want our money. Uh, and we've seen Sony and Microsoft try to play catch up with the family Wii Mote waving around things that was a big thing last year uh i think that i don't know the move is sort of like uh i think it's moved uh except for you know well now you can shoot a gun at your in your first person i think they're trying to appeal almost to a different audience now with their move device where i think that the 360 and then this is solely based looking at the ads as i mentioned i haven't played uh, console gaming for a little while here i'm a little rusty on it but 
I see that this through uh, fast food promotions and things like this. The what do they call this? The Microsoft Waveathon, the Wendigo. Wendigo. What do they call their device? Atrophy. The 360. The connect. Yeah, yeah, the connect. The connect. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the atrophy. Uh, you were so close with what you were guessing. I know when to go. Come to mind. When to go. Going with the actual name. <laughs> uh, so this, what's it called again? Connect. Oh yeah, connect. So that you know, this connect. I see it. You know, get, a, get a happy meal and win a connect. Connect game. Uh, all this other type of thing. So I mean, they're they're really still trying to push this, and it's a family thing. You dance around, and it's goofy. But now I see that robot autonomous helicopters and stuff like this are they have the, they have the connect stuck on the heads of these robots that fly around. So it's making its way into the academic scene, much like the G5s did when they first came out with the G5s, and people were. Uh, colleges were building supercomputers out of them and stuff like that. Uh, the experiments that are happening with Connect are a lot more interesting than the actual retail <laughs> games coming out for the Connect. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, yes, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. And not to leave Sony out, I think I've seen people uh, messing around with putting those magic wands on other types of devices as well. Other, yeah, other it's called a Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> Your lady's best friend. Indeed. Rez. Find that at the Wiggly's, uh, what is that, the flea market or whatever? Yeah, my flea market has those, yeah. the used. Touch your magic wand. You don't really want that used. No. Um, but, you know, we saw Sony and we saw Microsoft playing catch-up with, with the Wii. I don't know if they, they hit it or the Wii just died out. You know, it's hard to say. And it came really late to the party on that. But I think now that uh, we see Nintendo, I think, trying to integrate the iPad into their new gaming system and i think that's a a great move but i think it's playing catch up to a technology that should have moved on and perhaps even so with this ps3 i haven't really seen very much of it so you guys are when you want to talk about buyer's regret i mean think of the ps go uh that was a, a big flop because the company didn't commit to it and i think a lot of people are wondering whether or not sony's going to commit to this uh, next iteration or not. You know, are they going to get cold feet and reel it in? Or are they going to let it be a, a, a driving force in the uh, handheld scene? Well, I'm sure they will get heavy behind it, uh, you know, at least for a, a year or two. Uh, I, I'm probably one of the only satisfied PSP Go owners. Uh, I, I loved it from the first time I saw it. But now, you know, I see that uh, Sony Ericsson has out their PSP phone device yeah, that they play. Experian or Xperia. Yeah. And how about Microsoft with their Microsoft Windows play your 360 somehow with it? You know, it's like a, a USB chip or something version of a game. Again, the lines keep just blurring and, and blending between devices. And I think that's the problem with trying to play, play catch-up from these big companies. They're trying to make the Sony Walkman. And right now, I'm sorry, the Sony Walkman of <laughs> your telephones is the iPhone. And I don't see that going away anytime soon until a new technology comes around. So where is that new technology? What do you think these companies should be working on instead of putting an iPod down on your floor and hitting a golf ball off of it with a with a Wiimote. Since you were the one that told me about that golf ball, uh, let's go to uh, Galway Olancey. What would you like yeah. to see happen? I like what I want to see out of gaming in the future myself. Well, where do you think these companies should be going instead of trying to play catch-up to devices that are dominating the market right now? 
I gotta think back to the last game I bought. I'm not talking about hardware here. I'm talking about how we play video games. I picked up Arkham City recently, and uh, I love that game, and I love its uh, the game that preceded Arkham Asylum. And there's, uh, and I'm certainly not going to spoil this on anyone, but there's an emotional payoff to Arkham City, unlike anything I've ever kind of experienced in a game. And on top of that, it's the f- it was like those two games. I've never felt more like I was the protagonist I was using. I always felt like I was playing with Mario or I was playing with Sonic or mm. using them to play. This this game, I'm literally sitting there going, "I am Batman," <laughs> <laughs> and everybody I know who like gets into it are the same. They're just like you feel like you are him, and I don't know mm. what it is. This kind of uh, intellectual and emotional engagement that they've managed to pull off over that series. I think that's what I want to see more. Now, obviously, photorealistic graphics m- might come along in the next uh, generation or whatever. I'm sure that could mean some great things as well, but I'd rather see... Uh, I, I just want to see the, that craft of uh, video games, uh, like the, the kind of classical craft, which is kind of crazy to say things like they're only, what, 40 years old or something. The classical craft of video games I'd like to see carried over But I'd also I don't know, i just like to be i like for people to get together And find creative new ways To push my brain into directions I'd never really considered it before And allow me to engage mentally And also, if they could make Games that were free That'd be cool <laughs> um, Games cost money and so does rent And <laughs> So, if, if somehow they can incorporate gaming into your rent, that would be something you'd be behind. Uh, I mean, come on. If I get to run around collecting gold coins and then I just deposit them in my <laughs> land, you know, landlord's bank, <laughs> I should have you. Bank, ATMs, all right, but they're like different banks have different graphics to them. <laughs> you, know? you have to hit a block above your bank, yeah. the keystone of your bank, and coins come out. <laughs> yeah. That's what they need to do. That's lovely. Let's hear from uh, our, our more uh, industry tied in, uh, Sherman Helmsley. Johnny Capcom hit it in one. We are at a point now where there's no longer any point in differentiating yourself on having bigger, better, faster now. There was a great cartoon that came out with the release of the ID game Rage uh, just a couple of weeks ago, not mm-hmm. to date the show or anything. Where uh, the, uh, the 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 cartoon depicts one of the NPCs in Rage saying, "Hello, you've just woken up from a hundred year long slumber in a hermetically sealed environment, while the rest of the world went to hell around you. Do you have any questions about the way things are now? No." Okay, let's take a ride through the barren landscape. Look at that idol off there in the distance. Aren't you in any way curious what that might represent? No? Okay. If I give you a gun, will you kill something for me? There's this insane repetition of games where you have to get these really abstracted, uh, ridiculous objectives. You know, kill X number of people. World of Warcraft, kill 40 rats and then come back to me so I'll give you a weapon so you can go out and kill 50 octopuses. Mm -hmm. You you know, you look at a game like Arkham City, you look at a game like Uncharted, uh, even to some extent the latest iteration of the Tomb Raider franchise, any of the Metal Gear Solid games, where the whole point of the game was to advance the story as much as it was to advance the gameplay. I think we have hit a point in technological evolution of the industry where 
every single technological development that happens from this point forward is just going to be iterations on things that are already there. We're going to be able to put out 5 million triangles instead of 4.5 million triangles, but it was already photorealistic when we got to 3, so who cares? Uh, We're at a point now where the underlying technology has been established. The underlying technology is only going to get better, and it's already so good that we can't tap all of it. It's time to start paying attention to the content that we are delivering with the games. A game came out recently from Atlas called Catherine, uh, which, Mm -hmm. from a gameplay perspective, was basically just a block puzzle game. But from a thematic perspective, dealt with questions of mortality and infidelity and what it means to be in love and what it means to be a mature human and what the consequences of your actions are. We are 40 years into the development of this industry, and it's only now that games with these themes are entering the mainstream. That's shocking to me. I really think that this is where gaming evolution has to go if it's to continue to be, to be anything other than just, you know, the next iteration of Farmville. Right, right. Which itself, as dumb as we may think it is, it, it was a revolution in gaming, I think. Uh, the way that it, it was set up, we see a lot of it uh, trickling into just about every major studio that's continuing to develop for the iOS in this uh, freemium type of uh, element and help your friends, your friends help you, this whole communal gaming type of thing. So even that uh, it was a, a step forward in gaming that we really haven't seen infiltrate the console market yet. No? <laughs> Am I wrong? No, it hasn't hit the console market yet. You're absolutely correct. I question use of the word revolution. I see it more as evolution. Mm. Um, from what I can gather, the evolution of the of the cooperative social network Farmville style game is really more just that it made gaming accessible to people that were not hardcore gamers. There had always been talk about how the hardcore market was saturated, um, how all you could do there was keep iterating, that something had to be done to bring in other people that didn't care about polygons and didn't care about FPS and didn't care about more photorealistic ways to gorily dismember somebody. Farmville was the answer to that. The problem now is that, you know, in much the same way as with gaming, as the technology advanced and you no longer had to differentiate on creativity, the the, the stratification of genres began to emerge. That is happening very much in social gaming. You basically have the genre of Farmville, uh, which is, you know, click on buttons, send emails to your friends saying help me click on the buttons that your email your friends have emailed to you uh you have the uh the, the bejeweled pick three genre there are very easily definable easily recognizable motifs that keep getting tapped the social gaming is now starting to see the same stagnation that console gaming is seeing of every game that comes out is just another iteration on one of these pre-existing themes uh, with a different franchise. I think that a lot of this is because of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, video gaming is an industry and, and the bottom line is what drives things. But I think developers have spent too much time worrying about how to get a return on their investment than what it is in which they're actually investing. And I think that we are now at a point, technologically and sociologically, that that has to start mattering again or else video games are just going to crash because Every, no, only the hardcore are going to want to keep playing this year's version of Doom. Right on. Escape from New York, Snake Plissken. We I'm already know. Coast. Wait, oh, I'm wait, sorry. Wait, we wait. have more jokes. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, Escape from New York. Oh. <laughs> Son of a sh. You let me know. Okay, here I go. The Fisher King, go. 
anyone get that? No. <laughs> we already established that the photorealism peaked with Atari 2600 Frankenstein. I mean, come on, he's got freaking bolts sticking out of his neck, for Christ's sake. How can you get more photorealistic than that? Is the future of video gaming Japanese pillow dolls? That's my question, no, I guess. No? Okay, very no. good. Well, what do you, what do you I've think? I've never been in a room with the Japanese pillow dolls. <laughs> well, so I, I, I wouldn't know, but well, for perhaps, in. maybe. I, don't, I, I think they made one for your Dreamcast, but I'm not did sure. They? Well, yeah. speaking of the Dreamcast, and we'll touch on that in a second, I want to co-sign both what John Rich said, because I do agree. And yes, no, it, it, it's not. The, the future of, of gaming isn't just this, uh, how'd you put it, Rich? Uh, bigger, faster, better? or Bigger, bigger better, better, faster now. Sure. So it's not that, but we still want to be wowed. Um, and now I want to think back to the turn of the century, the late 90s. We had a VMU. We had a PlayStation Pocket. We had e-readers on our Game Boys. We had this connectivity that was very clunky and difficult to do on the GameCube with your GBAs and things like this. Now is the time that all of those weird, wacky, gimmicky ideas can actually happen fairly easily as long as everybody agrees to work together mm. uh, and get it done. Uh, things like AR and QR codes and barcode reading can be done very easily with any mobile device now, especially because everybody has a, a camera in their pocket, or, or most people do. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a cell phone, you got a camera in your pocket, chances are, and you can scan barcodes. I want to see more of this blending because I don't think it's a bad thing. I want to see more of this integration across the devices, and I want to integrate these things that they tried out in the late 90s and they tried out at the turn of the century, and they were interesting and they were really clever footnotes, but they didn't take off because they were just not practical. Now they are practical. I can play a Super Mario Brothers game, have it link into my Twitter, have it link into my Facebook, have it uh, where I can scan codes and get power-ups or scan codes and get different levels and have this complete integration where I, I, it's con I'm consumed by it or it's all around me. I think that would be a good direction to go as long as it's done smartly i understand it's a business i understand business but the mm. thing is when it comes to business it, quality sells itself you can't just be pushing blank ville the ville genre isn't gonna last forever if you don't do something new just what rich said he's exact uh, i agree with him i'm not gonna say he's exactly right because there'll be people who argue against us but i agree with rich i agree with his opinion on that and i think that if game makers would be more open-minded to working with other outlets, they can make a more interesting, a more wow factor game because now it's not solely um, building these walls around them, particularly with somebody like Nintendo, but filter it out a little bit. Let me get a little bit of my Nintendo on an iDevice. Let me get a little bit of my Nintendo in the real world. You know, you go to 7-Eleven and, and Zanga is teamed up with Slurpee and you can put codes in. And that's something that the big game market would uh, gobbled up in the in the mid nineties. I don't understand why they're not doing that now, and I think they should. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good direction, and you're starting to see it a little bit here and there. Um, with um, what was the game Sword and Sorcery that linked into your uh, Twitter account on the iDevice? Yeah, it was different. It was cool. It was interesting. W you can do more of that, and I think that people would be impressed by that because the photorealism isn't something that's going to capture people anymore, but the integration and the, and the social connectivity will, at least in my opinion. 
Yeah, explore that, exploit it, and uh, make it interesting. Make, make Just something don't happen cheapen it. That's right. the problem is yeah. that there's too many people out there that want to turn a quick buck. They want to team up with you know, an insurance company and, and make you pay real dollars to get virtual coins to buy an advertisement within a game. The, the people who make games best, I believe, are still the video game publishers and video game developers, not corporations that are looking to turn a quick buck. But those are the people who have really infiltrated social gaming. Um, there's no reason why the big developers can't jump on board and figure out how to m- use these tools to build a better game. That's what I think the problem is with playing catch-up. And I don't think that Microsoft and Sony necessarily learned their lessons because, you know, like I said, they came in late with these waving of magic wands around. And they're like, oh, look, our sales are now beating Nintendo's. Well, Nintendo's, Nintendo beat Nintendo, you know. And it just happened to coincide when these guys are bringing out their gimmicks. So now they, they might, I mean, I don't I don't know the inside workings, but it would appear that they're playing catch-up actually did something and, and, and made a dent and, you know, they did they did something good. I don't think they did something good with this playing catch-up. I think they should have been thinking ahead of mm. making it the same as something that was successful. So, uh, that's that's what I would just like to see out of, and by the way, I'm, I'm tossing to myself, I'm going to call myself codename code Baldy. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm saying that I, I hope that uh, somebody listens to us you're <laughs> welcome show. robot oh, robo duke robo duke's been clamoring for this for a while oh yes indeed well we do it just for him uh, you you may realize um <laughs> the I other one- four listeners are on right now I'm glad they listen live. So the future of gaming, definitely the hyperscan video game system. Scan cards to gain powers as you play includes the X-Men Game Pack console plus game pack. $54 at Rite Aid. Hey, guys, I think we had a very interesting council, a lot of good stuff. The PS Windigo is going to be uh, coming out this spring. Don't you dare miss it. The Wii 360 iPad tie-in bundle pack for the never-available fantasy... (laughs) Never mind. Okay, snakes, uh, solid snakes, solid, brother. Hey, I still like some fuzz. We'll talk to you next time on the We Talk Games. Bye. Take care. Where's Eric? Oh, that bum. (laughs) Still not on. (laughs) Hey, that is it, my friends. A new season has begun at We Talk Games. Please join us at wetalkgames.com. Such a small community, as we mentioned throughout the show. Uh, My head's clearing up a little bit. Thanks for asking. Some very special thanks go out to Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, Eric Alex, 2PyR, and, of course, you, the listener. Thank you very much. Special thanks to Stinky for poisoning me. And, TT, we love you wherever you are. Good luck. Take care, everybody. I hope that you like us. Bye-bye. We talk.